For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Now then, dizzying number of claims is the major headline on the Echo Front page today. Uh, a pathological liar who made a dizzying number of allegations, many of them on sexu- of sexual abuse against uh, numerous professional people she encountered in her life, has been jailed for four years and is apparently now on hunger strike. Sonia Egan, age 43, is currently on hunger strike in Limerick Prison and refused to come to Cork City uh, Criminal Court uh, or to attend by video link for her sentencing. Judge Catherine Stain said the court would not be manipulated by the actions of a woman who had shown a capacity to be extremely manipulative. Uh, Judge Stain's jailed her for a total of six years with the last two years suspended. While the contents of the victim impact statements were not discovered, uh, disclosed in open court, uh, Judge Stain said they were the most harrowing victim impact statements she had ever read. And we hope to sp- speak to... Uh, Barry Roach of the Irish Times on that later in the programme. A guard was blown 15 feet into the air by a motorbike. A member of Angarda Shia was blown 15 feet into the air by the driver of a powerful motorbike and left injured on the road as the driver sped away uh, while fans made their way to an Elton John concert. Sergeant Kieran Kelleher gave this evidence at the sentencing hearing for the driver of the motorbike, uh, Blake Sheridan, of no fixed address and living uh, recently in various addresses in East Cork. Uh, That's also on the front uh, of today's Echo. Uh, Staying with the Echo, new planning application for market and apartments at the Dennehy's Cross site. An artisan food market uh, and more than two dozen apartments are included in a new development uh, proposal for the site of the former Ford uh, garage in uh, Cork City, Dennehy's Cross Ford. Uh, Dennehy's Cross and Ford were synony- synonymous down the years, uh, looking pretty dilapidated now, but uh, maybe good. Up to yourself, depending on your opinion as to whether the development is welcome. But Dennehy's Cross Construction Limited have lodged a planning application seeking permission for a mixed use development at the site of the former Dennehy's Cross garage. Staying with the Echo High on Cocaine when attacking teenager. This is a harrowing story actually. A teenager coming home from a 21st birthday party with his friends in Bishopstown was attacked by a man who struck him in the face with a claw hammer and then knocked him unconscious with one downward blow to the top of his head. Jacob Sullivan of Fairfield Road, Farronry was jailed for three years for this assault and having €18,000 worth of cocaine for sailor supply and stealing a motorbike and driving it uh, dangerously. Check it out in the Echo as well. Moving on to the sun, uh, Leo says, life gets better, don't give up. Meanwhile, the family are seeking justice for a bullying attack victim. Tishuk Leo Varadkar has blasted a sickening attack on a lad walking home from school. The 14-year-old's teeth were broken by a gang of vicious youngsters in Navan County Meath. But Leo says, uh, life gets better, don't give up. And that makes the uh, Irish Daily Mail in more detail, actually. Teenager suffering serious facial injuries after he was attacked by multiple youths in an alleged homophobic attack. How cowardly can you be to gang up uh, on one person? Uh, And at 14 years of age as well, the shocking video of the incident, which has been viewed online nearly four million times, shows a schoolboy being set upon in an unprovoked assault in Navan County Meath. The footage shows the boy seen with bright dyed pink hair walking towards a housing estate uh, with several students. A young male suddenly punches him in the face before another youth attacks him from behind. The victim then attempts to get away but is punched several times by a third teenager 
who causes him to fall to the ground. The person recording the video eggs on the attackers as they punch and kick the boy repeatedly. There's one thing I find very, very difficult to watch. It's somebody being set upon. It's somebody being bullied. It's somebody being kicked on the ground. I think it's just the most cowardly thing uh, when uh, multiple stronger youths gang up on somebody. And it looks like here, maybe just for the, uh, the dye in the hair, who knows. We want Claire off, C-L-A-R-E. Minister slams blockade as asylum seekers vow to stay. You remember yesterday's headline, blockade, Mila Fulcher. Well, a major standoff now over the accommodation for asylum seekers escalated yesterday after the government rejected calls for it to be closed. Residents in Inch County Clare are blocking the road to the Margona Hotel, claiming it's not suitable. Uh, as the 29 refugees vowed to stay put. Integration Minister Rodrigo Gorman blasted, the blockade outside the centre is entirely uh, unacceptable. Uh, Also said if they want to talk to him, uh, they'll come to Dublin. He won't come to Clare, apparently. Now it's a blame game on migrants, has the uh, kind of related story on the front page of the Mail. Minister rejects criticism over hotel blockade and defiantly tells protesters, I'm not going to Clare. You can come to me. A rift is deepening in the coalition over the shortage of accommodation for migrants with a blame game unfolding. Minister for Integration, Rodrigo Gorman, yesterday indicated he, need more, he needed more support after the Taoiseach said that any time Mr O'Gorman asked for help, it had been made available. With claims the cabinet is now at war, Mr O'Gorman said yesterday that he is availed of all usable offers of accommodation received from cabinet colleagues. He also indicated he would travel to County Clare. That's kind of at odds with the uh, with the headline, but he would travel to County Clare to meet with protesters. Uh, but they were free to travel to Dublin to meet him. OK. Uh, at Cabinet this week, it was claimed that Mr O'Gorman's Department of Integration had not availed of all usable accommodation offered to them for refugees and asylum seekers. €363,000, meanwhile, that's the average price of an Irish house. Uh, rising €2,500 a month over the last year. Uh, so that's uh, up thirty grand last year. The average price of a house is €363,000, having gone up by uh, two and a half grand a month in the last year. While prices have fallen for three months in a row, they're still nearly 2% above Celtic Tiger levels. 84 homeless deaths, meanwhile, in a year, a state report has claimed, Neave Griffin reporting in The Examiner, that the first state report on premature deaths among homeless people found 84 with a median age of 40 died during 2019. Air, meanwhile, formerly Air Com, I suppose, Air is uh, fined 2.5 million for Bill's rip-off and there'll be refunds due for 70,000 customers. Aircom has been ordered to refund over 70,000 customers and fine nearly 2.5 million for repeatedly overcharging them over a number of years. As well as the refund order and the financial penalty, the company was also instructed to change its billing practices. Thousands for the estimated, uh, sorry, a bigger pardon, refunds for the estimated thousands of affected customers could result in refunds totaling up to 6.7 million euro, an average of just over 88 euro per customer, according to a watchdog. The Commission for Communications Regulation, or Comreg, said the action against Aircom Limited, which is known as AIR, is uh, part of the settlement following an investigation. Uh, AIR issued a statement to apologise unreservedly. The probe into overcharging of its customers by AIR resulted in a fine of 2.45 million and a move by the company to engage in backward-looking measures 
to identify customers. Okay, we were talking about Aaron, their level of customer care, and uh, I know it was the subject of uh, some court debate as well that uh, you could be waiting over an hour to get through. I think things have generally improved there, uh, but obviously some things need to be still fixed up. Independent front page has domestic abuse register at risk over legal concerns. A new domestic violence register promised in the wake of the murder of Jennifer Poole has been cast into doubt, serious doubt, amid legal concerns. Bus scare is a huge headline inside the Daily Mirror today. Eerie images show the abandoned outdoor transport museum. It looks like uh, a bus graveyard, to be honest, and you can check that out in uh, the Irish Mirror today. It's an abandoned transport museum nicknamed Satan's Bus Depot uh, after some of the bus uh, numbers were changed to 666, uh, representing the Antichrist, of course. Uh, there are, uh, it's kind of an extraordinary image, you'd love, love to see it in more detail in the Independent today extraordinary 3D scan of Titanic wreckage may unlock the secrets of the sinking and reveal the point of impact with the iceberg the exact point where an iceberg struck the hull of the Titanic may finally be revealed in the first full size three dimensional scan of the shipwreck to take place Harry and Megan making all of the uh, TV news today uh, making some of the press as well uh, Harry and Meghan's New York car chase. Prince Harry and wife Meghan yesterday claimed they were in a two-hour car chase through New York. They said it was near catastrophic uh, in a pursuit by paparazzi with multiple near collisions. Police later said there had been no collisions. Uh, well, he said near collisions. No collisions, though, injuries or arrests, though it had been a bit chaotic. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex were with Meghan's mum, Doria Ragland, for the trip after an award ceremony on Tuesday night and police sources said they left around 10pm in an SUV uh, with private security and wanted to spend the night at a friend's in Upper East Side around three kilometres away. In a bid to evade photographers, uh, they were driven around the city for just over an hour with a New York police uh, department escort. Meanwhile, up to six blacked out vehicles in pursuit cars uh, are said to have mounted pavements, jumped lights and reversed down one-way streets. Uh, Harry and Meghan quite shaken by that. Okay, uh, no longer at service. Uh, we spoke to him uh, on the programme yesterday. Francis to sell luxury hotels. Television hotelier Francis Brennan is no longer at your service as he's selling his two Kerry hotels for just over 20 million. Expressions that drive you mad <clears throat> going forward. Uh, many, and we finish with this, many of them are phrases and words from the world of business or borrowed from our friends on the other side of the Atlantic. But what they all have in common is that they're becoming uh, more than a little annoying and most disliked of all, apparently, is the expression going forward. Um, so lexicographer and Countdown star Susie Dent uh, appealed to her 1.1 million Twitter followers for the unpopular words and expressions they believe should be eradicated from the English language. And we'd like to find out, is there any expressions here in Cork uh, that you'd like eradicated as well? Going forward, meaning in the future, came top, followed by no disrespect but, and then you disrespect somebody, uh, and the use of like, uh, especially uh, from our American friends and our younger uh, people use the word like, uh, like all the time, like. Um, Mrs. Dent, who, uh, or Ms. Dent, who uh, leads a directory, uh, sorry, dictionary corner, on the popular Channel 4 show, tweeted, It is what it is. Going forward, with all due respect, ah, bless. Uh, which phrase or expression would you like to be banished from the dictionary or from the lexicon 
of Cork. Uh, the top phrases we hate, by the way, and we're open to suggestion here, in number 10, <clears throat> my bad. Number 9, the optics of something. In number 8, so, at the start of a sentence, that annoys me too. Uh, number 7, let's go offline. Number 6, basically. That's a very much abused one in Ireland, I think. Uh, number 5, I'm not going to lie, but... Number four, I wanted to reach out. Uh, number three is like, as a filler, like, uh, you know, like. And uh, number two, no disrespect, but. And uh, number one is going forward. Uh, the one that really bugs me, and I don't know how it got into the Irish parlance and lexicon on a daily basis, is one that came from Texas and it came from the um, rodeo. Uh, and it's from the get-go. The get-go is a rodeo term from Texas, and we're using it. Uh, you see it on TV at least once or twice a night in these talk shows and everything. Although we've been doing that from the get-go. How did that get into the Irish parlance? Are there any phrases or expressions that really, really annoy you? Then give us a call on 0818-104-106 or text or WhatsApp 86 8104106. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. Good morning and thanks for holding Independent TD for Cork Southwest, Michael Collins. Morning, Michael. Good morning, mate. Now, you always talk a lot of sense, or seem to anyway, when you come on the air with me, but you're calling for a national debate. Now, a Doyle debate on this is something I wouldn't mind tuning in on. Uh, and not many people tune into Doyle debates. But we live in an ever changing Ireland. Uh, you know, things are changing apace. Uh, and uh, probably one of those things in which there are there is now some concern being expressed is sexual education in schools. A national debate you're calling for on what's registering as growing parental alarm relating to children's sex education. Absolutely, and you know, numerous numerous parents uh, either have been phoning me, meeting me in the streets, or emailing me that are majorly concerned that their children are now facing what they feel is against parents' will, uh, sexual education, um, where, where literally you've got agencies like the National Council for Curriculum uh, and Assessment and, and the HSE are framing these issues so that they have, uh, we'll say, explicit sexual Im- imagery and, and language endorsed, basically, in, in, to our school system. A lot of parents are very concerned about that. I think the reason that most parents today are concerned is that they're very well educated themselves, they educate their children themselves, and they feel that this has been taken out of con- their control and now is going to be fed through the education system. And a lot of people make send their children to school to educate their children on, on the, the, the basics, the maths, the history, the languages, and, and are, are proud to do so, and teachers do an excellent job of that, but not send their school to be um, fed sex ed- education. Um, and I think that not alone is it right to, and in a lot of cases we have very little doll debate on these issues we might get an hour or two but we need a proper national debate on, on an issue like this and I, I'm pretty sure from the parents I mean the young and not so young uh, parents have, have expressed uh, quite uh, a lot of worry upset and, 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 and a good bit of anger a lot of people said they'll, they'll oppose it however they can uh, with their children going to school they will yeah, look, we, we've always, as parents, had trusted educators here. You know, things haven't been super smooth, uh, well, you know, when it came to some things that were happening in schools. But to all intents and purposes, you'd, you'd send your child to school. You might review what they'd learned later in the day. You might help them with their homework. But you and I both come from an age when you might have got the talk, you might have got the book, uh, you might have got a schematic maybe of, uh, of uh, a simplistic thing. 
Uh, now it seems to be very detailed, graphic, moving, filmed sexual images. We had a, uh, one of the TDs yesterday uh, declaring, no, uh, no there, there won't be full pornography shown in schools. But it is getting a little more detailed than we would have had in our time. It is getting more detailed than it, you know, it, it, look, we're talking maybe about secondary schools. You're talking about children from 12 years of age up to 17 or 18. Um, what's next? Is it the national schools? Where are they going to stop? Or what's the, like, you know, we had, as we said, trusted educators, but this has been eroded. Bit by bit, it's, it's, it's been eroded. And I feel that gender ideology is being smuggled in uh, to every area of a young uh, child's life. Uh, and many f- parents uh, are feeling... Uh, very resentful towards that um, and and yeah you'd say maybe in my era going up growing up little was said about education at home but certainly uh, it's been well spoken about in the in, in the homes of the, the, pe- the people that, that live in this country now and are comfortable about talking uh, about the educate their children the way they feel it's necessary or the way they feel as if the child is mature enough to take in what's being said to them not being fed through a school system whether they like it or not and being part of a curriculum in a school and it's a very worrying uh, move and it's something that I, I, I'm just disappointed that um, that we first of all haven't had a, a proper debate uh, in the doll um, and, and that we certainly haven't had a national debate and I think it warrants both. Okay, of course you, you made your comments after contributing to a Doyle debate on the CSO statistics relating to sexual violence. Did that kind of give you the opportunity to say, hang on a second, we're, we're discussing sexual violence but we really need to maybe start here and find out and have an agreement between the uh, formulators of curriculums and and parents as to you know to take this worry away from parents do they know what their children have been taught I, well a lot of parents do because quite a lot of uh, have um, uh, spoke to me about it have very serious concerns about it. very what I call modern um, uh, parents that are well able to keep up with the, the moving times that we have and they have been very, very strong to me, saying that they're well able to educate their own children, and they don't uh, think it should in any way, shape or form be part of the curriculum in, 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 in schools. And, you know, as I said, if we get a full debate out here, we might be able to strike a balance that there'd be some understanding of the the type of, of, of uh, as I say, the worry is that it's going to be explicit sexual imagery and language. Uh, this looks like it's going to be endorsed by the uh, Department of Education, by the government, and uh, I would think a majority of parents are happy with that. And okay. um, I, I am only taking it from the parents' perspective, and I want to I want to at least have a proper debate on it, so that we might strike a balance. Not everything I see is right, but certainly not everything the Department of Education are doing here is right either. Yeah, but you're registering the worry of parents that are coming to you in your constituency and maybe beyond. First text, first text on the matter, Michael, and uh, how's this on a sample of one? My sister is a teacher and completed preliminary training on the new sex education syllabus and she said herself and her colleagues were horrified with the contents. Many are afraid to speak up, uh, but she said parents don't have a clue how crazy it is. Absolutely, and that's the feeling that we have got to behind scenes from other teachers and other people that have um, been, I, I look as if it's been forced on them, um, that, that, that they're quite uh, annoyed and, and frustrated and extremely, extremely worried at the explicitness of what they're going to have to educate um, children in, uh, children at 12 years of age. What is wrong with our country that they can't leave our children grow 
the, the way children ever did and enjoy themselves inside in school and educate themselves on education matters, not sexual matters, not forced on them uh, on different matters, but educate themselves the way we all want to send our ch- children to school so that they could um, get a good education. But certainly, I think the majority of parents, if they know the content of what their uh, teachers are being forced, to, we'll say, to, to add to the curriculum, or uh, that's going to be added to the school curriculum, they'd be absolutely horrified of that. Okay, in this era of freedom of sexual expression, gender identity, gender ideology, you know, we, we can't offend anybody uh, in, in this woke culture. Is, is the very basic sexual education that was given to people of our age and maybe even younger in schools, Michael, is, is, will that maybe be found to be offensive to those who are trying to, even at a young age, determine their sexuality, their ideology, their identity, even determine their gender? Um, but the opposite of that question, of course, is by making it more widespread and detailed, uh, are we going to damage children who really are still in, 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 still in the innocent stage? I, I certainly think we are, and you, you're talking about 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old children in particular that are, you know, getting old, starting off in life. I, I, I was taught no sex education in school, uh, but we found our way. We didn't get lost either. And and it looks to me, and, and, and in, in fairness, when I was growing up, sex wouldn't be spoken about at home either, but certainly it's now being spoken freely at home, and children are expressing their way, and parents are talking to their children, and that's... We'd encourage that, and that's a great way, because they know exactly what a child can take and can't take. But in some cases, you know, children are coming home, bringing home stories from school, and they're totally and utterly confused. They're being confused, and it's only hurting them, upsetting them, mentally upsetting some of the children, and they don't need to be in that position. They'll make their own minds up in their own time what they want and not have it forced on them. And, uh, And unfortunately, it looks like... The only way that the, the, the powers that be feel they can get to the child's head is at the younger stage of their life. And that's wrong. It's terribly wrong. And that, that should be left with the parents. That should be left with uh, professionals outside of the teaching system, in my view. Well, may, maybe as well as a Doyle debate, we need uh, an open debate, even an open online debate between uh, the formulators of the curricula and, the, and parents in general. It looks to me, Mick, um, that there'll be very little debate. As I said, when this will come uh, to being in the doll, it'll be rushed through the usual hour or two, and we'll all get a two-minute slot, and you could take it or leave it, and we have our mind made up and move on. And that's a terrible uh, wrong to the parents of this country. That's terrible. Uh, it, it, and I, I'm strongly convinced that uh, good, good parents that have worked with their children from the early ages to the ages of their 17, 18 uh, to their adulthood are the best people to talk to their children about any education but especially about sexual education and they want their children to go to the school to learn as I said earlier new languages uh, their maths their you know their, all these that's what they want in the curriculum that's what you uh, every one of us in our children's school for not to sit down talking about sex explicit sex education or imagery or, or language people are, will be totally positive the majority of people in my opinion Alright Michael let's see where it goes uh, Independent TD for Cork South West Michael Collins thank you very much for bringing in the uh, bringing the debate and its uh, and its merits if uh, you think there is, is a meritable uh, debate does a national debate um, is it required uh, but what is being registered to several TDs actually is growing parental alarm uh, relating to children's sex education and the content they're coming home with. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. 
Good morning. After uh, um, we have spoken to Michael Collins, I'm now speaking to James Brown. Uh, it must be difficult to have famous names sometimes. Uh, Minister of State at the Department of Justice. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, okay, I know you've been, uh, I've been told you only have 10 minutes, but I'll keep going as long. You can let me know as soon as you need to go, James, if that's okay. Now, you're overseeing, this is sort of a CSI shamrock thing. You're overseeing the database of unidentified remains, which was released by the Department of Justice on Tuesday and made most of the papers. Um, can you tell me um, what hope this will give for people who are still looking for closure? Uh, these major scientific developments would seem to be offering hope to these people. That's it. On Tuesday, we published for the first time ever a coroner's database of unidentified remains. And what we had done was ask the coroners right across the country to go through all of their files. And many of them are paper-based files. So it took a good bit of work to identify uh, where they had unidentified remains and that we could put a database together, fill it with clues from those unidentified remains. It might be tattoos, it might be clothes they're wearing or where they were found, and put them online with a hope of being able to reunite those remains with families of missing persons. We have every year uh, Missing Persons Day and we had that last December and I was there listening to many of the families and this online database was one of the key things that they were looking for and in fairness to all of those missing persons families, I mean, the, the, the stress and I think the tragedy of not knowing where your loved one is or what happened to them I mean, it's a particular type of, of devastating loss so it is for those families so we could do there. So what we're asking as well, everybody who has any information about missing persons, please come forward to the Garda Shia Kona and give that information. If anybody recognises any detail at all in these unidentified remains, either contact the Garda Shia Kona or the coroner, who's detail, the relevant coroner, whose details are online as well, in the hope that we can repatriate some of these remains with families. But what we'll also be doing is commencing imminently the exhumation of some of the remains. There's 44 remains we have DNA samples for 20 of them. We don't I'm, lo- I'm losing you there, James Brown. I, I'm, I'm not. We've got a particularly bad line. You keep dropping out. Uh, are, are you are you moving or are you, are you in the car? I'm down in South County Wexford here. I think reception can be sometimes a bit challenging. Ah, oh, yeah, no problem. Okay, uh, st- staying in the southwest, in in here in Cork City, south and west, five remains located. In Kerry, southeast, north and west, three remains located. Strangely enough, because people think closure would have been brought to this, uh, those remains include the body of Baby John, the infant buried in Carrasivine after his remains were found on White Strand Beach in 1984. Um, w- will DNA help bring closure here? Well, I'm very conscious that is an ongoing uh, investigation by the DPP, so I wouldn't like to comment on an ongoing investigation, but I certainly hope in relation to any of these unidentified remains that DNA is um, can be critical to identifying uh, those uh, those remains and link them with uh, the families because we've seen significant progress by Forensic Science Ireland in terms of their ability to be able to extract DNA and to link them to families. And that's what we really want to do here. And even there's there's a considerable body of work here, but even if we only link one set of remains, repatriate them with one family, I think it would be a good day's work because as I said, it's a real particular tragedy for those families not knowing what has happened to their loved ones and where they are. Okay, and I suppose it has to be admitted that the, the new DNA evidence and technologies can open an investigation and further an investigation, uh, as well as bring closure uh, by proper identification to families who are grieving. 
No, absolutely. We, we certainly know that, and just consistently the advances in DNA technology, and we, we've seen only uh, recently there are break, more uh, uh, breaking uh, advances in that technology around DNA, and anything that can be brought to bear to help break closure, whether it's in a criminal case or whether it's simply repatriating remains with, with, with their loved ones. I think we need to continue to do that work in Forensic Science Ireland. I think has done phenomenal work in recent years and will continue to do that work and anything the Department of Justice can do or I can do to help um, Forensic Science Ireland or our families to link them with their missing persons. That's certainly what we're aiming to do here. And as you say, you you know, we had the case, I'm from Wexford, where Tusker Rock is where that Aer Lingus plane was crashed and we went out in 2018 um, out in a baby ship to the site of the crash to mark 50 years of that crash and only 30, uh, sorry, 14 bodies recovered from that plane crash, 13 of them have been linked to families, but we do have one uh, set of remains in Crossdown Cemetery here in Wexford Town um, that we are the coroner at the time was very satisfied it came from one of the, from the flight but hasn't been linked to any family yet. So exhumation may be on the cards here as, as gruesome it, as that may seem, if, if it brings closure and correct identification, it is warranted, yes? Absolutely, so part of this programme is where exhumation is required we will carry out ex- that exhumation out. It, exhumation is quite a, a complex process. You have to have the health authorities, the local authority, the Garda Sheikhana and the coroner involved. And there's, there's a whole technical process for both exhumation, the time you can have the body out, and you have to have it back in the ground quite quickly as well, and in a particular lead-clined coffin. So there's a lot of technical process behind it, but it can be done and it will be done where it needs to be done. And we intend to start that process of ex- exhumation yeah, imminently, so we do for, for remains where necessary. Okay, uh, and in your position as Minister of State of the Department of Justice, I imagine you're acute, acutely aware of everything that's going on uh, in and around not just Leo Varadkar's comments about not enough Gardaí. We spoke to Brendan O'Connor from the GRA uh, a couple of days ago on the programme. Push factors surrounding Gardaí, um, lack of morale, lack of training on flashpoint handling, um, and, and really in, in this GDPR stroke woke culture, um, are, are the Gardaí just unsure about how to how to dive in and handle a situation, maybe where they wouldn't be in the past? No, look, obviously, uh, you know, uh, policing always changes as years move on, and that's why we have the we had a commission on the future of policing, and we're bringing significant legislative reform through the door in terms of how we police in this country. We have a community police that we're very proud of, an unarmed police force, and that's something we certainly want to retain. Obviously, operational matters and training is a matter for the Garda Commissioner, but what we have done in the Department of Justice is secured the largest ever budget for unguardedship so that the Garda Commissioner has the resources he needs. Look, we acknowledge there's not enough Garda out there. A recruitment was hit during the COVID period, but we are now doing substantial uh, training and recruitment process. We, so we, our aim is to have a 1,000 Garda uh, recruited by the end of this year but also doing a new recruitment process as well so that we can continue to recruit and train new Gardaí next year to get the Gardaí levels up to the level that we need it for. But I know uh, Minister Simon Harris and Minister Roderick O'Gorman are both meeting with the Commissioner today to discuss um, uh, Gardaí matters as well in relation to uh, some uh, very unsavoury situations we've seen around immigration in recent uh, weeks. Yeah, we're seeing huge... um Immigration situations, we're seeing a proliferation of bullying, uh, of homophobic and racist uh, actions, uh, even amongst our young people. Is it it so quickly an evolving situation 
that the current Garda manpower, morale uh, and pay grades and incentives are finding it very difficult to cope. Well, look, as I say, we, we certainly acknowledge there needs to be more Garda Shikon, and that's why we have this very major recruitment process ongoing. We're also doing a process whereby we're recruiting additional gar- uh, civilian staff from Garda Shikon and uh, that's set out to release hundreds of more Garda from administrative duties out onto the front line as well. But I think, look, policing, it's a whole of society approach as well and a whole of government approach. The Garda can't do it on their own, so I think we all need to support the Garda Shikon as well in their role and that's why for example in the situation with immigration it's so important that we can find and identify accommodation so that vulnerable people are not having to sleep rough but have somewhere to uh, to lay their heads and that's part of it as well so it is so look I acknowledge the Garda Shea are under uh, real pressure and that's why we've brought in the uh, largest budget ever and bringing in this massive recruitment campaign to get more Garda so that it can be out there on the streets helping to protect our communities and make them safer it's a very polarised issue. Cabinet at war was an expression in one of this morning's papers. So, you know, we're not France where we boil over at the slightest thing and take to the streets. And there are those who would like us to be like that. But we are, in an opposite sense, a pressure cooker. And in some ways, people are starting, it's, it's filtering through now in these demonstrations. People are starting to have enough. Uh, people are starting to have enough of uh, what they see as favouritism for some cohorts over the Irish homeless situation. Um is there any way we can address the concerns of people in this changing Ireland unless we have enough accommodation, which we don't have? No, so look, in the relation to accommodation, it's about building more houses, and, and that's something that has been uh, increasing significantly the amount of houses that are being developed and are being built, but we do have 10 years of undersupply, so we have an awful lot of catching up still to do. And so we do, in relation to, I think, some misinformation that's out there, it's incumbent on all of us to I think knock back that misinformation some communities have genuine concerns but they are being exploited by someone the far right and we have to push back against some of that who would seek to exploit people's I think genuine concerns in particular situations and I acknowledge that people do have genuine concerns and it's up to the government and various ministers to address those concerns insofar as they can be can be done so but we do have to provide accommodation for people as well I think look I, I, I see myself even in my own county here sometimes there's allegations of favouritism but any of those instances when I look at them that, that favouritism simply didn't occur uh, so they haven't so look I, I, as I say I acknowledge there is there are very very real challenges there I think we can get to the other side of this but certainly in the coming months it's uh, it is challenging and it's up to all of us to um to, to address that in the best way we can yeah I, I was sent a video this morning of a brand new house here in cork i won't mention the area it was sent to me by somebody who's on the housing list for 15 years uh and this house will be occupied by a refugee who's here four months can you blame people for getting a little agitated Oh, look, I don't know the particular circumstances of that individual situation, uh, but I do know in terms of housing this for local authorities, um, you know, you, they have their own priorities in terms of how to give out those houses. And um, it is uh, people who are on those housing lists for a considerable length of time is, is usually the number one priority in relation to that. But I, I've never seen a case where, um, you know, somebody who would say 
immigrants who have come into the country and simply jump on a housing list. I've never actually seen that. I've seen accusations of it. And any time I've investigated it, it's never been true. Of course, look, they, they, people could be renting a house privately and, and, and that's legitimate. I mean, so it is and that can happen as well. But I think what we all have to do is get as many houses as built as possible. We're seeing this very significant increase in the number of delivery houses right across the country. Um, but we want to ramp that up even further now. And that's what will be happening over the coming years. And that will help to alleviate the pressure in communities right across the country. Okay. Uh, finally, would the Department of Justice agree with me if I said that uh, we have Gardaí responding to ever-changing situations, uh, evolving events, but they're doing it in keeping with um, a historic or community policing model that may not fit the Ireland of today or indeed going into the future. So is more training in relevant legislation, GDPR, all, the, all this stuff, public safety. They're, they're dealing with flashpoints they can't deal with. Is there anything we can do to enable them to? Well, certainly policing is becoming more complex. I would be absolutely adamant that we would retain that community model, that the Gardaí are, are people that we know and live among us and are part of our community and not having a kind of a, 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 a police force that is separate that you might see in some other countries. But I think what we are doing is you're seeing an increase in specialisation in Garda Siakona and that is happening. So, for example, in terms of domestic violence and de- and uh, cybercrime and drugs, we're seeing ever more complexities but more specialised Garda units and that in turn is putting pressure on frontline Garda as Garda are being trained up for these specialised units and that's why the solution here is to get more Gardaí on the ground and that means more Gardaí being trained and I would certainly encourage people out there who consider joining Gardaí Siakona to please do apply to join on Gardaí Siakona and, and become Gardaí because it is still it is a good job and it is a very worthwhile jo- job the Gardaí Siakona do a very worthwhile job in protecting our communities Okay, um, good, worthwhile. Um, th- th- those were two words used by Brendan O'Connor the other day. As to being appealing, uh, that's a different matter. Um, so I, I guess we leave it there on that one because uh, we, we, we've had people on um, yeah, Minister of State James Brown who, um, you know, they failed by a couple of points to get there. We've advised them to go back and, and reapply and, and uh, eventually after two or three attempts you probably will be accepted if you brush up on the area in which you failed. Uh, so I, I, I do take it, it can be an appealing job for some. You, you'll often get a guy in class, you know, who said he wants, wants to be a guard since, the, since he's four or since she's four years of age. Um, and, and those are the people I think that should be uh, looked at as well and given maybe that little bit of lenience in, in the application process, or would you not agree? Yeah, so look, it is set up in such a way that people can reapply so they can. And like any exam or anything in life, you know, sometimes people don't get it the first time around and it can come back around a second time. So I would certainly encourage anybody as well who may, may not get it the first time around to please do reapply and um, you know push up on whatever area that uh, they were unsuccessful in uh, and to reapply. So you're right, some people want to be a guard from, from a very young age. Other people, you know, uh, maybe during their 20s or even their very early 30s, and realise that it's it's a career for them, and it was something they would like to do. And that kind of that kind of experience coming to the Garda Siakana can be very useful as well. But it, it is a life well lived being a member of a police force, and especially the Irish Garda Siakana. And they have a very proud record in this country. And as I say, we're certain the Department of Justice will continue to help support them and provide additional funding 
that they need to do the job that they want to do as well as they want to do it. Yeah, I, look, I've kept you longer than uh, than we promised we would. James Brown, Minister of State of the Department of Justice, you will probably get a special sense of pride if you close out some of these cases with correct identification that families can bring closure. And we'd love to hear, if possible, uh, you know, where, where possible, uh, any of those cases that new technologies may bring uh, may bring closure to. But thank you for your time. Thank you very much, and I'd be glad to come on, back on if we do. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 Red FM. And a little bit of housekeeping from yesterday. Blue badges, the invalidity badges are being stolen from cars. There's been cases in Limerick where people have smashed the window and robbed the badge because there's no picture on it. On the Glanmire issue we covered yesterday. Good morning, Mick. I live in the L9998 uh, back road from Glanmire. Since they resurfaced it, it's now become a racetrack. It's impossible to get out of your house with the speed along the road now. Uh, wanted me to ask Oliver yesterday why we're we being ignored. We've asked for speed ramps. Uh, on the COH crossing, uh, there should be nobody crossing the road at COH. Uh, there should be a walkover built. It's not safe. And a quick shout out. Could you please tell your listeners that Amberley Nursing Home in Formoy are hosting a fundraising tea party today, Thursday, for the Alzheimer's Society. And everyone is welcome. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie The Neil Prenderville Show Red FM As we bid good morning to Barry Roach, Southern Correspondent for the Irish Times. Good morning Barry Good morning Mick, how are you doing? I'm good, uh, uh, story making all of the news um, It's a 43 year old woman jailed for four years for what a judge said had been huge damage caused to not just social workers but a solicitor and a guarder uh, and more. The story is intriguing and she would not appear in court. Can you bring us up to speed? Indeed, Mick, yeah, it's a woman called Sonia Egan. She's from uh, Liscara Killeen's outside the city and she pleaded guilty earlier this year to 14 charges of making false statements and false reports in relation to eight men and three women and she was sentenced yesterday uh, at Coxford Criminal Court by Judge Catherine Staines. The offences involved making false allegations of rape and sexual assault against three senior social workers, a solicitor and a guarda, and then, as well as that, she made allegations that she harassed by another solicitor, physically assaulted by a politician and his partner, and that another social worker accessed child porn. And we heard from Detective Sergeant James Buckley, who investigated, he said the circumstances of the case were complex, and Egan had, he said, a complicated personal history after she went into care of the state when she was in her teens, and that brought her into contact with social workers with both the Southern Health Board and Tusla. And her first false statement came in 2016 against a senior social worker alleging that he had raped her and sexually assaulted her when she was both a minor and an adult, and later that he pimped her out to other men, and that he was involved in trafficking her and other girls into prostitution. That She was a qualified social worker even though she didn't practice, so the so- social worker, the victim of this, reported her to the regulatory body for the profession, Koru, and then when a solicitor representing Koru contacted her, she accused that solicitor of harassing her. And then she went on, as our Detective Sergeant Buckley went on, said that she made similar allegations of sexual assault and rape against two other social workers with Tuzla, a solicitor engaged by them when he, they tried to get an injunction to stop her making these allegations on social media. And then a uh, fourth social worker she accused of accessing child porn. She raised the issue with a politician in this part and uh, who was trying to get the thing covered by prime time. Uh, when he reported that she had begun harassing him, she then alleged that he and his partner physically assaulted her. And then the last person that she made the complaints about was a guard who was appointed to investigate her complaints. 
and she made uh, allegations of historic sexual abuse against him, sending details of the false allegation to the Minister for Justice, the Garda Commissioner, Senior Mar- Management of Cork, GSOC, and Primetime on RTE. And uh, we were hearing that the detail, the reports, some of these complaints or statements she made were 30, 30 odd pages long, so it was very detailed and very vivid. Um, they were all investigated by the Garda and they're found to have no evidence to support any of them, but they obviously caused huge distress to the victims some of whom were suspended from their jobs when they were being investigated. And uh, Can you imagine being, being, being accused wrongly oh, of rape? And, and the, it's I, horrific stuff, really is. Um, Detective Sergeant Buckley said she'd engaged in what he described as a strategy of making false reports and allegations against persons or institutions that were adverse to, adverse to her status or situation. In essence, this forms the repeated pattern, cause and effects of her complaint. We heard that she had two previous convictions from last year for harassment. In uh, of a pop, former TD and a businesswoman, and she was currently serving two years for those in, at the moment. Her defence counsel, Ronan Munro, said she had waived her right to attend court, either in person or by video link, and she was currently in the advanced stages, he said, of a hunger strike in Limerick Prison, where she's serving that two-year sentence. Now, we don't know the actual motive behind the, the, the That wasn't said what the motive for the hunger strike was, but he said she was a path, This is her defence lawyer. Now, he said she was a pathological lawyer. It was hard to know what is the truth and what is made up when you're dealing with Sonia Egan. It's very hard to keep up with the allegations. It's a huge admission well. from, from defence, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. But um, he said uh, he referred to a report conducted by a forensic psychologist, Dr. Rena Colliery, who had met her and interviewed her a number of times, and she found that she suffered from what was called emotional dysregulation, varying from friendly and cheerful to angry and agitated. And she also concluded that Sonia Egan suffered from a borderline personality disorder with compulsive flying and mini-psychosis. Um, so he appealed for leniency, pointing out that she had admitted that her allegations were all false and she'd signed a written retraction and apologised to her actions, or for her actions to her victims. It was a written, written admission and, and written retraction was read out in court. court yes. Once again, hoping for leniency, I guess. Uh, well, perhaps, uh, but uh, certainly from he hoped that from the point of view of the victims, that would address the terrible damage that she'd caused them. Now, for the victims submitted victim statements, they weren't disclosed in court, but Judge Stain said she read them, she said they were the most harrowing victim impact statements that she'd ever come across, and she outlined some of the impact that was um, described in that. She said one victim was accused of rape and sexual abuse, a letter of complaint was sent to his employer to Angarda Shikon and the Minister of Health, and while formal investigations were taking place, he had to stand aside, his reputation was ruined, it effectively ended his whole career. Another victim was accused of running a paedophile ring, He'd given his life to child protection. So she wrote to his employer, wrote to the police, and there were hours and hours of guardian interviews. She, she said, which destroyed his career and caused huge emotional trauma. And for that man in particular, she said he found himself, given that he had given his life to, life's work to protecting children, he found he had to explain to his own children about what paedophile rings were because of the false allegations she posted. And Judge Stane said, I cannot begin to understand the harm and devastation caused to these unfortunate professional people. Uh, she noticed that the maximum penalty for the fences was five years uh, as she weighed up the aggravating and mitigating factors and uh, she said it was a complex case of it being contested so guilty, the guilty plea was important but she said the fact that there were multiple victims was an aggravating factor she sentenced her to three years uh, in jail for the first eight victims and then because the guard of victim was happened later she gave her three or consecutive for that but suspended two years so effectively she has so six minus two six minus two so she's four to serve but she made it a condition she suspended that period that those two suspended sentences or two suspended years rather for a period of five years and she ordered that she'd remain under the supervision of probation service 
attend whatever psychotherapy would seem appropriate, have no contact with any of the victims, and post nothing about them on social media. And she did make the point as well, you know, the social media had facilitated, facilitated all this during the, uh, the what mm. effectively was about a four-year campaign, as it were, by uh, Sonny against the um, nine people. Yeah, so anyone who crossed her really was about to be crossed in, in, in probably the most damaging way. If, if, if you give your life to child protection, be accused of uh, running a paedophile ring. If you give your life to social oh, work, be, be accused of something as, as graphically horrific as rape. Um, oh, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's beyond... I, I'm just going through um, Mr. Monroe's senior counsel, who was the defence counsel, um, who noted that one of Egan's friends when they were teenagers had said... Even at the time, Egan loved the drama and kept coming up with stories, uh, like that she was once homeless. She was going to Oxford to study law and other made-up stories. And the friend said, looking back on that time, I wondered if it was all lies and does she believe it to be true? Or does she know it's all lies? There's something very wrong. Uh, I thought they were all tall stories. It was too much. Um, and uh, Mr. Monroe added that the observation summed her up well. It's very yeah, sad, isn't it? Is, is, is jail the right place for her? I'm not sure. I mean, well, the judge, obviously, the justice system felt it is. Um, and I presume in terms of um, the people that she targeted, they've got some respite. No, whether um, she's, as I say, she's in jail for four years with uh, a five-year suspension, or sorry, a two-year uh, suspension hanging over for five years. So hopefully the woman will get her life together in there and perhaps get the treatment that she needs and uh, hopefully not, uh, not while she's on hunger strike I would venture well that's we, as I said we, we're not we, that was mentioned yes that we didn't get the exact details of uh, just that it's an advanced she's in an advanced state but what no he did make the point as well that Ron Monroe that at previous occasions she had attempted self-harm and so forth in order to manipulate people and Judge Stain said she wasn't going to allow her court be manipulated so yeah. that wasn't a factor for her as or an issue for her as it were the, the hunger strike but as I say we'll, I presume it's the question of watch this space and see what happens next yeah. Okay Barry thanks for as ever being so succinct and on the ball and, and, and very good copy which you can read in full detail uh, in uh, today's Irish Times Barry wrote Southern Correspondent for the Irish Times thank you very much It's Thanks cheers it's an amazing and bizarre one Egan was a qualified social worker uh, even though she never practised but still had qualified and the uh, governing body there, the regulatory body, is Koru. And every uh, social worker needs to re-register. And it's a license fee as well. You have to pay every year. So the regulatory bar- body uh, is Koru. And that's where she made a complaint to Gardi that a, a solicitor was harassing her. She went on to make similar allegations of sexual assault and rape against two other social workers with Tuzla. And a solicitor engaged by them to seek an injunction against her. So the two social workers engaged a solicitor and um, then allegations were made there also and she alleged a fourth social worker was accessing child porn on her computer Um, these social workers do a very very demanding mentally demanding job and often have to put up barriers to come home and act like normal people with some of the harrowing stuff uh, they have to deal with and uh, to have that sort of a low blow can really really affect someone I wonder um, we'd all wonder, I guess, what those victim impact statements were. We probably never uh, will get to the detail of that. But when the judge says some of the most harrowing victim witness, um, uh, sorry, victim impact, I beg your pardon, st- statements uh, that uh, she had ever read, uh, it's a sad case. And um, I suppose maximum sentencing was was applied with the uh, 
with the, with the cutting off of two years. Um, once again, uh, I'll read the uh, little bit of what Judge Stain said yesterday. Judge Stain said this victim, <clears throat> one of the victims who had dedicated his life's work to protecting children, found, him, him, found himself having to talk to his own children about what a paedophile ring was because of the allegations Egan posted on social media, adding that social media had allowed her to circulate these false allegations. I cannot begin to understand the harm and devastation caused to these unfortunate professional people, said Judge Staines, who noted that the maximum penalty for the offences was five years as she weighed up the aggravating factors and the mitigating factors, let's be honest, in this case. Uh, She acknowledged it would have been a difficult and complex case to contest, so Egan's guilty pleas were of value, but the aggravating factors, including the horrific and vile nature of the allegations that she made, and the fact that there were not one but multiple victims. So Judge Stain sentenced Egan to three years in jail for the offences against the first eight victims and then to three years consecutive for the offences against the Garda. So that's six, which happened later, but she suspended the final two, uh, leaving her with four years to serve. Now, just in conclusion, she made it a condition of suspending the sentence that Egan would remain under the supervision of the probation service for five years, attend whatever psychotherapy is uh, deemed appropriate and have no contact with any of the victims and post nothing else about them on social media upon her release. If she's on hunger strike, um, it may not have a very happy ending. Let's see what happens over the coming days and weeks. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. Coming up on 25 minutes past 10 to line two and Jenny. Good morning, Jenny. Good morning, Mick. Now, this is on uh, children and sex education in schools. Yes, I just texted in just saying that uh, parents need to be very careful and aware of the new sex education that is coming down the pipeline. What, why do you, do you feel it's radical? Um, I'm just really concerned about the whole trans ideology because it's such a new term. It's such, you know, and where it's actually stemmed from the history of it. I don't think parents and people actually realise the history of it, where it came from, the whole thing. And and how aware of you are you of the current curriculum and what it proposes to teach our young children? Well, they want to teach children about um, gender identity and about trans people and trans rights and that about the whole language is the term cis and um, non-binary and they want them to kind of um, say their say their pronouns and to get them talking about their sexuality at such a young age. It's very concerning. The, uh, the term gender identity actually was coined by a paedophile, John Money. Tell me about that. Um, John, John Money was a man who um, encouraged a twin to transition after a circumcision accident. So he encouraged the twin to go on as a female. And then the, he forced the twins to simulate sex acts on, on each other. And then he took nude photos of those adolescent twins. And those twins then later went on to commit suicide. And he falsified positive results on transitioning. And the book um, was written then um the Kinsey Report, and it was a sexual behaviour in human males, and that was published in 1948. And that book then was kind of, it wasn't accepted amongst his peers, but the media made it popular. And within that book then, Dr. Judith Reisman discovered that book, and she wrote a report of the book. And within that book, she shockingly found 
systemic molestation of more than 300 infants between the age of two months to 15 years. So this whole trans, you know, this whole gender identity and trans stuff is coming from very, very questionable history. You know, if you look back on it, it's it's quite shocking. And it's such a new term and it's actually been brought into our children's, the Irish children's curriculum. It's actually shocking. I'm actually so frightened. I have young children growing up and I'm so frightened what they have proposed to try and teach children. And it's also sending children down the line of um, chemical castration and the line of being like on pharmaceuticals for the rest of their life if they decide to medically transition. You know, if you're teaching children that they may be born in the wrong body, it's setting them on a very, very uh, frightening path. Well, especially if you're opening up that option for them to consider it um, below the age of reason, which if, if I'm not correct, if I'm, is it 13 now? Well, you see, children can't be tried for um, murder because they don't have the mental capacity to understand it. Why should they be allowed, given the, 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 the permission to choose what they want to do that's going to have life-changing effects on them for the rest of their life when they're just so young? Changing, like taking puberty blockers, there's no reversing that because it actually prevents you from going through puberty and you have an underdeveloped lung and heart and children who actually take puberty blockers and maybe decide that they've made the wrong decision. Like, for instance, females who take um, testosterone, they'll never again get their female voice back and their womb, um, it goes through atrophy. It, It actually just shrivels up and are not able to have children in the future and you're giving a child as young as seven, eight, nine, ten, like you're teaching this this you're teaching them this concept where they may be born in the wrong body. And these children are going through puberty and I mean that's That's something I, that's I personally not. cannot understand. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I would condone 100% everyone has the right to self-express, to self-determine, be whoever you want. You can be a, a, a you can be a pencil sharpener for all I care. Yeah, uh, like but at, at very sensitive story. ages to be introducing these concepts, so that, that, I, really, really, that I have a problem with. Yeah, they're, they're really complex concepts that are so new and stemming from very, very questionable people in the past. And if you look into the history of it, and then it's just so shocking to think that our Irish schools are planning to introduce this concept. And I would just advise every parent to email their schools and email the boards of education and and um, outline your worries and do a little bit of research into John Monet and to Alfred Kinsey, these people who termed the gender identity, and also look at the, like look into Judith Reisman, her report on the Kinsey report. This this whole trend, trend stuff comes from this, and it's really sending children down a line that they can never come back from. They can yes. never ever, like like a child who takes puberty blockers, they will never ever have sexual function, they will never have an orgasm. And children are dying on the on the operating table as we speak. There was actually a recent one died, a young 17-year-old. She was um, going through um, a sex change operation and they tried to take, because she had taken puberty blockers at such a young age, they didn't have enough of the skin of the penis to turn into whatever way they did it they had to take some of the colon and then didn't the child end up dying on the table of sepsis because these are just crazy surgeries that we're going to be sending children down onto by teaching them this concept it's so new there's no scientific backing in it and all the research points to the 
people who go down this line end up like suicidal and the suicide rate is terrifying, you know. Well, you, you, see, you seem very well versed, Jenny, in, in, in all and of I these topics. The scary thing about it, Mick, is a lot of these children are just gay. They're just gay and they're being told then that they're in the wrong body. They're not allowed just be feminine boys or they're not allowed just be masculine girls. They're being pushed into this gender because they might like sports more. You know, oh, that must mean that you're in the wrong body. Like that, I'm not saying that's exactly what they're teaching, but by reading up and studying trans, they might question it and say, oh, because I don't like girly things. Maybe I am and I may be gay. Maybe, I, maybe I'm a boy, you know? Yeah, but 50 years ago, when it was illegal to be a homosexual, shall we say, um, we, we, that, that's all we were dealing with. We had repressed sexuality. We didn't have sex changes. Well, we did, but we didn't have them as overtly as we're doing now. Uh, and you know, you know this gender e- uh, equality index that all these companies are trying to aspire to? We, like we've, we've heard there was a Tampax uh, company situation. There was a Nike company situation. But the one that trumped them all... Uh, was Dylan Mulvaney and uh, Bud Light? They're they're trying to get a gender equality index score so that can they can be seen to be inclusive. Um, Definitely, uh, uh, yeah. So it's coming capital in the in the in the business sense of it. But also Dylan Mul- Mulvaney, that man is um, he portrays himself as a sexualized teenage girl. So you can't call I him a man. Really offensive. I I really I know. Sorry, whatever you him or whatever is. I don't play into the whole languages. Well, to, you know, to me, I when when, that, I, when I, I grew up and, and learned English, some might say very badly, they was a plural, not, not a singular. I can't call one person they because it's plural. If someone's in the room with you, you just you just refer to them as their name, and you and any everybody would be respectful. And if they said if they sat down with, with you and they said, "I feel like I'm really a they," you'd respect them and say, "Okay." But when you have some of, some of the biggest companies and brands in the world trying to wrap their corporate identity. Uh, in multicolored woke virtue uh, to score something that that they need uh, to be uh, you know to be seen as an inclusive business. I personally think that Bud Light shot themselves in the foot because they alienated their core, core customers. I've yet to see will that situation recover. Um, but you know when, when they're when they're trying to wrap, wrap their corporate image in, in something that doesn't suit their brand. It's it's gone a lot further than uh, issues in schools. It's now affecting corporate world as well. But money runs the world, Mick. And like, if you're sending children down this very questionable path of they're in the wrong body, you're sending them to be pharmaceutical company. Like, you know, they're sending them. They're going to be customers for life of the pharmaceutical industry. If you watch any, if you do any little bit of research into people who may have decided that they were on the wrong path and they want to trans trans back go back to their original gender. Um, the horror stories and also make if you let a child um, socially transition and just let them and don't force them down the medical path they may change their mind 80% of them if they're just amongst their peers and if their peers respect them or whatever and decide like we teach no bullying in the schools and stuff like go down that line really drill into that 86% of them actually refer back to their true gender they just realise that they may have been gay and just been feeling like feminine or masculine vice versa if you get me so, so it's really worrying that our Irish schools are want to bring this trans ideology into the schools and teach it to them. It's it's terrifying because it's on an ideology that has no scientific backing and it's coming from very questionable origins. And it's 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 destroying children. It's actually 
sending him on a road of medical castration. So should we have an age limit at which this ideology and these thoughts uh, are forbidden to be uh, taught to our children and then an age that the children will reach when it's open and, and you know, maybe in the middle, uh, an age that with uh, parental approval um, or else they leave the class? I need. I think it needs to be put to a vote, a massive vote about this education thing because it's very frightening what's coming down the line. And because of Tavistock, you know, that they got shut down there's an onslaught of um, litigation coming down the line of these children and parents who were pushed down the wrong way. And it's it's the tide is turning and there's so many regretties now, people that actually felt like they were brainwashed. And I don't mean to say brainwashed because there are people out there generally, generally suffering with gender dysphoria. They do, but it's become a social contagion now because it's being taught in schools and because it's all over TV and it's all over social media. It is literally a social contagion and children are are vulnerable and need to be protected by their parents. So I encourage all parents to really do your research and look into this trans ideology and make your feelings known to the school and to the Board of Education and to everybody involved in making up this curriculum. But, but make it's your feelings known from an informed standpoint, not just from... Of course. Okay, Jenny, can I ask you to stay with me for a few moments because you're very well versed on these things. Pat, good morning. Morning, Mick. Hi. If you were a teacher, you'd refuse to teach that sex ed syllabus. I would, because if, if you take it, there, there's a lot of say, outside adults in children's lives as they're growing up in, in coaching and teaching dance, whatever they're into, you know what I mean? If any other adult that's involved in a child's life went and had that conversation with a child, what would you think if you were the parent? Well, I suppose the word sexual deviant would come to mind. If they didn't have permission so, to talk to a talk to a child like that, but they all have permission. To, you have permission to talk to a child if you sign them up for a club. Yes, anything. But, yes, but but not about matters sexual. I would imagine. Whereas, uh, whereas Again, that is that's the remit of the school. Is it, Dominic? Is okay. it? So, if in another group, adult in spoke a group, to in a in a group setting. In a group setting where you're talking about probably the most private decision a child will have to make going forward. Is it applicable to be taught in a group setting? Okay, but it, it isn't. Where, it isn't where be, where kids, it's it's where not a split-second decision. It's not, but where kids being kids, you know the banter that goes on between children can be carried too far and become bullying quite easily. This isn't, I, I, well, I have a choice. Will I go to Christians or will I go to Prez? I don't know. I'll make a decision. It, it, it's not that easy, is it, Jenny? I feel that these sensitive subjects, if they are to be taught, should be taught with the parents present. If that, if exactly, they really want yeah. it, because some children feel very, would feel very disturbed by their teacher bringing up something so personal. So it's about their body. Even my own daughters, I teach them privacy. They're only they're only eight and five, and I help them shower. And I turn around and I'm saying, "You clean your private area there now," and we speak openly about it because I was a preschool teacher for 15 years, and I know the importance of teaching them their proper body parts and speaking openly. But it needs to be done in a caring way with their parents. Teach, educate the parents, and let the parents. And the children do it together. Don't disturb a child by saying something that they might find shocking, and then another child might laugh about it in the class. That it's, it's not, it's not going to sink in right exactly. to the child, and they're going to go home, and they're not not going to want to talk with their parents. They're going to feel like there's this 
break between them and their parents that they might know something that their parent doesn't know. And it's, it's causing a divide between the parent and the child. I, I can see the merit of, of children and parents being together in this very sensitive sex education area. I can also, of course, uh, empathise with the children who'd be mortified uh, yeah. to be sitting there with their parents when this stuff is being discussed. But of course, but, I know that what it means to be with the parent because the child is under 18 and, the, and at the end of the day, it is, in a sense, grooming, speaking to a child, a minor, about these sexual things. Pat? And, uh, Mick, like, you, you go back to our, our time in, in the school. Sexual education was non-existent. We all understand that. We probably learned it from street corners and older children, which wasn't right either. But there has to be a fine balance. But this has gone beyond a fine balance. This, This is... This is way beyond the fine balance. It's right. You know, there's, there's, there's language being used in this. Even I'm struggling to understand. And I would have thought I would have been well versed on it. You know what I mean? I just wonder, are, are you and I old fashioned? That, that's what I'm saying. Am I old fashioned for thinking this? Is it my way of thinking you're wrong? Because like, some, of, some of this that, that's being discussed actually shouldn't be discussed till an adult level. So you're actually your mentally your mental comprehension can understand it, and as we know, the brain isn't fully developed at 25 years of age, and we're expecting primary school children to take this in and have it as you know in their armory going forwards. That's the real nub of the issue. When is the correct time to expose young people would, to these I, I, ideologies to, to the and to their choices? Let's be fair; they've got a choice. I would say between 15 and 16, with their parents present when they're 16, 17 years of age, even transition year would be the right time to do it, where they'd have a bit more space from the, the other subjects that they'd be learning for their leaving sort. Is that too late, transition Jenny? Week. Too late? I feel, I feel there just needs to be more scientific backing into it, and there needs to be more research done into the people who actually coined this gender identity and into Dr. Judith Reidman's report on the Kinsey Report, because this is where it's coming from. And do we want to teach our children this harmful ideology, which has left thousands and thousands in America, um, families ruined, and like just the amount of suicides, children go down the, the, the path of this medical transitioning, Mick, and there's no going back. No going back. And they feel like when they change it, they'll finally feel right, but it's all regret. You know, at, the, at, at, at an impressionable young age as well, if somebody declares one way or the other, I don't, you know, whatever they declare for, whatever side uh, they choose, well, whatever ideology or gender identity they wish to, to follow, and, and they make that decision and make those first critical pharmaceutical steps, and then they, they decide, maybe that's not right. There's peer pressure as well as the chemical pressure, uh, as well as the inherent damage to hormones that's already been done. Mr. how many children... How many children growing up have turned around and said, for six, seven, eight months, I'm a horse, I'm a dog thing. Did their parents stick them out in stables and feed them hay? No. Exactly. It was just a phase the child was going through. You know what you I mean? Did they a child if they were saying they're a cat. Do you know what I mean? You know, you wouldn't put them into a litter and say, oh, do your business there. You wouldn't, like, you know what I mean? And there's also people coming out now and they want to be disabled, trans-disabled. This is actually a thing in America now. There's people blinding themselves yeah. because they felt that they were blind their whole life. There's people wanting to pay people to actually make them paralysed. When is it going to be like, why are we teaching our children this harmful ideology? I, I mentioned there last no week there was, I think, a Republican senator in the US in his 60s uh, and, and of uh, dark skin. Uh, who identified? Sorry, he he was of uh, he was white skinned, and he want he he declared himself a six year old black girl 
there was more of a furore because of his, because of his intention to declare himself a different skin colour than a different age. Uh, and and what got the least uh, of the the traction really uh, was was the fact that he wanted wanted to change his sexual identity. And and in, in that sense, he was kind of poking fun at uh, you know in a serious way at the whole thing. Okay, Pat, thanks very much. I want to take Gillian here on with Jenny. So th- thank you very much. Okay, no matter. Thanks, Pat. Gillian, good morning. Hi. Hi. Thanks to Michael Hi, Collins. You say it's about time we spoke about this. Yes, yeah, finally. I'm absolutely delighted. Thank you so much to Michael Collins for bringing up the debate. Michael is fantastic for the people of Cork and the people of Ireland. And he stands for what we want, actually. We do not want any of this curriculum brought into the school. I already opted my daughter out of this curriculum because it's already parts that are being taught already through books. And I feel it's gone too far altogether. Do you have any specifics, Gillian, of what's been taught? Uh, what's been taught already, gender ideology has already gone into the schools. It's going, it's in basically in poems and in stories. And I feel it's gone, it's basically taking the kids' innocence away from them. Like, can kids not be kids anymore? Do we constantly need everything to be sexualized? Why does it have to be always brought into the schools with the kids? You know? when, when you're giving kids that young a choice, it, you know, they almost feel a pressure to make a choice. Where, where okay, well. The way I feel, you have to be 18 to go and get a, a drink in a pub, okay? You have to be 17 or whatever to get a licence. Why is this uh, irrelevant in schools? Do you know what I'm saying? It's gone too far. Everything, I want my kids to be able to learn how to cook, how to do, maybe learn how to do gardening, you know, learn a different language. But why is everything always, you know, based on sexualities and gender identity? But essentially you're giving young children the sexual freedom of expression and choice uh, that, that will affect They're them for young. the rest of their They're lives when they, when they probably can't decide what they want from Santa for Christmas. Well, if it's put around down their throats every day of the week, their brain, or basically the government are brainwashing our kids. It, I mean, they're funding for this. They're trying to bring in gender ideology into primary school kids. Can the kids not be innocent anymore? Why is it always rammed down their throats? We do not want it, and I will not put up with it. Any parent will tell you they grew up too fast. It's too late. They're, they're grown. They're 11, they're 10, they're whatever. My, my daughter is not on internet. She is not on... She has nothing to do, which I will not let her have anything to do with the internet. She's too young. So why is it put into books? She's six years of age. So does she, get, does she get a tablet where she can play, you know, break, no, break out doesn't. games or no. any of that stuff? No, 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 no. She doesn't. She doesn't. Because she's a yes. child. She's six years of age. Sorry, you want to come oh, back in there? Fate. Yeah, fair fate to Gillian for not letting her child online because that's where it's all stemming from. Even when children are on YouTube, kids' YouTube, they're pushing the ads. It's all coming through the ads. And also, do you know that that trans flag was created by a man who writes trans erotica and it was created in 1999. And this man who writes trans erotica, he forced his wife to take part in fetishist, fetishist, uh, fetishistic cross-dressing and erotic, he wrote erotic stories including one about young girls who never age. So that trans flag was created by a man, well he's a trans woman now, Monica Helms, he was born Robert Hodge, but that was created in 1999. That's where that flag yeah, came I, from. I don't have specifics on that. So, 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 so if you look it up Okay, I, I will look it up. 
but I, I, I can't do it oh, live, live on air. So just just be, just be careful about about some of the stuff. But the idea well, the idea of keeping children that. innocent can it be done in this day and age with the with the internet? Apparently, yeah. the um, a, a survey have found the average age at which children first see pornography is thirteen now. That's because parents hand their, their kids a phone at 12. Oh, there's your communion, there's your phone, because they're lazy. They don't want to actually interact with their, their kids because they're addicted to their screen. I'm like, it's so sickening. Um, hearing about friends who have to wrestle their 14-year-old children to the ground to take their phone off them because they've seen snaps or something come up on their phone, That's that's been totally like they shouldn't have seen or they, you know, planning all this stuff and seeing all this stuff online. Children are accessing war now. We've allowed this group of teenagers online too young. Don't turn around now and teach the next group porn literacy, transgender, everything, and send them down this really messed up line, life. Actually put a stop to it now. Put laws that you don't give your children phone. They're not allowed access to un- unsupervised access until they're 16. Or seeing a child with a mobile with internet access should be like a taboo, seeing a woman, like a woman smoking. It shouldn't be allowed. We shouldn't be teaching the children porn literacy. We shouldn't be teaching them trans ideology. It's corrupting childhood and it's actually sending children down a life where they're going to end up paedophiles. What, what do you make of having a debate in the doll as, as Michael Collins' TG called for? Will it just be another, as he said, we'll be given an hour or two, that'll be it. We'll all have a minute each. We need a vote. We need a referendum. Uh, refer- I, sorry, no, Mick, I'd like to jump in there. Sure. I totally agree with that girl, your caller there, Jennifer. Jenny, um, yeah. Ginny, yeah, I would absolutely, we need a referendum on this. And I also wanted to make a point to you here. Um, apparently, um, we from America, looking at what's happening out there, apparently as well, it's autistic children are the main children that are actually getting these operations. And apparently in Ireland, there's over 800 children. Um, autistic children, apparently, are going down this route as well. So I have heard from a person working with Tusla that apparently... It That's comes a lot of apparently, Gillian. We're well... This, this woman has a friend working in Tusla. Okay, okay, we, we can't we can't go into specifics on that. Uh, Jenny, um, you've given a, a great amount of service to the program t- today. You've brought up a lot of good topics. Uh, we need to protect childhood. We need to allow children to be children. Let's uh, do you the honour of giving you the final words here. I just really encourage parents to make their feelings known with the school, with the board of education, to speak out, to never stop speaking out. Your children only have one childhood. Like, make it good for them, protect them, and they'll grow up to be the future, the future generation. If this generation is left, go by the wayside. What future have we? We need to protect our children and we need to make sure that they're being taught correct, scientific-based, proper education, not things that are coming from very questionable, very scary, disturbing, you know, sources. Look up, do your research, parents, please, and make your voices heard and make keep speaking out and protect your children. Thanks okay. for leaving me on, Nick. Yeah, we're, we're, we're trying to make some social progress here. My apologies for cutting Gillian off, but we just can't talk about rumour. We just can't talk about something she might have heard from somebody working we in Tusla. We, just, we can't speculate like that. We just can't. Yeah, just look, do your research, parents, and this is a very harmful ideology that's coming down the line, and look into it and protect your children. And to your knowledge, do parents have full access to the detail of the curriculum uh, that they're they inadvertently leaving they their children be exposed to. They haven't released it yet, Mick, I'm watching it out there. They're saying that they've released one or two now of the first year RSD kind of workbooks and they have on it a gingerbread kind of little diagram and they have this gender ideology and they're they're talking about if you were born in the right body and the doctor 
um, says you're a boy and you feel you're a boy, then you're cis, and then if you're born in the wrong body, then you're trans. You know what I mean? It, it, they've just released two workbooks. It's actually up on the NCCA website, I think. That's all very well Not at a certain age, but what age is that being presented to our children? I think 12 or 13, like, in first year. So at that stage, you're kind of just in first year. You might have just got your period or you're going through puberty. You're very socially awkward and you're being taught this stuff in as fact in school because what we've learned in school, we believe to be true. All right, Jenny, you're, you're, you're very vocal on this. You're very knowledgeable on this. So will you, will you keep an eye on things and maybe get him back, back in touch I with will, the programme? I will, If and when necessary. I, I, no, I, I think you're reflecting genuine worry and concern across the spectrum of parents. Uh, well, you know, well, I mean, when I say spectrum, of course, I mean different ages. Well, what is little Johnny and Mary age five or age six or age seven being exposed to? Uh, it's probably a lot more than I as a parent was exposed to when I was that age. And, and parents have a right to be worried. They do. They do. Okay. Just just be, be be involved in your children's education and just ask them questions and speak with teachers and keep an eye on what's coming down the line because they want to bring in this trans thing and parents need to be aware. Yeah, we live in an ever more complex world and parents need to be ever more aware and astute and, and studying and researching into what exactly their children are being exposed to. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Nick. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good morning. This is The Neil Prenderville Show. Text in WhatsApp 086-8104-106, Cork's Red FM. Coming up in five minutes to 11, uh, the sex education topic has uh, elicited a lot of text uh, to the programme. Hi, Mick, my five-year-old granddaughter was taken out of school early uh, on two occasions due to sex ed. Hi, Mick, uh, your time is nearly over and we'll miss you. There's no need whatsoever to teach children any sex education today. Who taught us anything? And today there is so much more modern technology. I was talking to my grandson a while ago and he seems to know all the basic stuff in a nice kind of way. His parents told him he's just 12 years old, says Marie from Clon. A lot is being put on the shoulders of teachers to teach in school, but sex education should be up to the parents, says another, t- another texter. We give our children mobile phones to the age of 10 with access to the whole internet and I mean the whole internet we prefer them to get their sexual education there uh, rather than from sensible teachers Uh, the problem there is that uh, all you have to do is click that you're over 18 and you can get the most graphic content in the world the school my kids go to have videos from busybodies and I watched it uh, before she got to see it in school and I felt it was perfect as it was animated Uh, cartoon. I watched it with her at home so she was perfectly prepared for school and wasn't embarrassed about anything when she saw it in school. She's going to be 12 in two weeks and I'd much prefer her to know these things rather than not be in the knowledge uh, of it as we weren't told anything at all when I was a child. I would much prefer being honest and open with my kids so they know that they can ask me anything at all rather than being made a fool of or being taken advantage of. Uh, Michael Collins, poor Michael will be called a far-right bigot now says uh, another texter. And on the subject of woke, uh, would you please explain on the radio what you mean by the word woke? Uh, You've used it several times this morning with a negative connotation. I didn't think I did, but uh, I've no idea what you mean when you use the word. I hope you would not mind giving your definition of said word. Um, Well, when I say woke, I mean probably alert uh, or sensitive to racial prejudice and discrimination. Um, And the word woke is used, uh, can be be used in a negative sense, and I hope I didn't uh, give that impression. It's used kind of ironically uh, as an insult, maybe, for various progressive or leftist movements that uh, the uh, the speaker would uh, deem to be too sensitive. Maybe ideologies that are perceived as um, insincere. 
Uh, but when I say woke, I mean people who are sensitive to discrimination uh, or perceived discrimination, uh, prejudice and, uh, and and that sort of thing. So I hope that kind of uh, <laughs> explains my interpretation of the word woke, uh, whatever way you uh, you took up that I, uh, that I used it. I was just meaning uh, if people are sensitive to gender discrimination, sexual discrimination, etc., uh, probably didn't explain that too well, but News at 11 is on the way. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. The Neil Prenderville Show. Red FM. Morning to you. This is Mick Mulcahy. Lots of texts before we go to Alan O'Reilly in uh, Carlo Weather. I'll just blast through a few of them uh, very quickly. On the Navin attack, what happened in Navin is nothing new. I'm 55 and grew up in Knocknaheeny. It was a nearly nightly event back in my day. There was always a pylon, says Paddy. And the refugee situation, the Ballsbridge Hotel has been empty for years. There are hundreds of rooms in there. Why aren't refugees being housed there? It's because it's Dublin 4 says Paddy. Uh, Make would Red FM please do a flash poll on whether or not the people of Cork want a cap on refugees and asylum seekers, says Pat. Uh, let's get into some of the uh, transgenderism and sex ed uh, texts that come in. I'm very interested in this discussion on sex education. I feel consent is what should be discussed, not gender identity. Uh, sweet Jesus, make at this hour of the morning. Really, you know we switch on for a bit of escapism and light relief. Life is hard enough. Just switched off, uh, said Trevor. Some topics need to be discussed. Trevor, what if your child is genuinely transgender? What about their mental health? Uh, we are a disgrace, apparently, to the people who are genuinely transgender. Do we have any compassion, we're being asked. Uh, hi, Mick, that woman hit the nail on the head. Tablets for the rest of their lives. At the end of the day, it's all about money. Are schools strict anymore? Now there are guys in school with pink hair. Are there any more rules? And what about non-binary toilets? The flag hangs most of the year. Principals need to stop their agenda, says a texter. Uh, just do one more for now. Men can never be women or vice versa. It's a lie, and I will go as... <clears throat> I would go so far as to say that it's a mental disorder. We have seen grown men acting like babies, for goodness sake, uh, and they too are pandered to. There are now men in women's spaces, in sports, toilets, etc. I hope my grandchildren will not be allowed to learn this tripe or I'll be having words with their parents. I'm sick to death of this trash being pushed down people's throats uh, and now little children are expected to try and comprehend it. So says Maureen in Clon. We'll come back to more of your texts uh, a little later on. But right now on Things Weather is Alan O'Reilly from Carlo Weather. Alan. Mick, how are you doing? Very good. The Met Report's making a bit of a liar out of me. I always like to have a, a decent look at the weather. And I use weather apps for, for, for a hobby as well, like XC Weather and that kind of thing. Uh, but they're at variance lately. You know, what was supposed to be a high-pressure dominated lots of sunshine 10 days is becoming a pretty cloudy, sometimes sunshine day. Yes, unfortunately, most of us working Monday to Friday are going to be a, dis- a bit disappointed having missed out on a lot of the sunshine. We've had a few nice days, but it does look like while high pressure actually is going to stay very close to us, there's a few weak weather fronts that are going to move in. Um, there's one of them crossing the country at the moment, bringing some patchy drizzle. Now, it'll die out as it crosses the country today, but um, it will still be cloudy. I don't expect much rain for the south, but there could be some patchy drizzle later on. Now, it will brighten up again from the west, and tomorrow will be an okay start today. Some sunny spells, mainly dry, only a very odd little shower. And temperatures are up to 17, 18 degrees, so it is milder than, than we would have seen, and that's around normal for temperatures this time of the year. But the weekend had been looking very good, 
but um, that high pressure is just losing its grip for the weekend. So it's going to be a lot of cloud around this weekend. Now, it's still going to be pretty mild. Temperatures up to 17, 18, maybe even 19 degrees. And the further inland you go, possibly even 20 degrees. But there's also going to be some drizzle and some patchy light rain on Saturday and a chance of a shower on Sunday with a bit of a, a drizzly start as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, look, it's not bad considering what we've had, but it's probably not what people were hoping for. But how can the Metmen get it wrong so classically and that, uh, you know, forecasting nice warm sunshine for the weekend and now looking at mostly cloud? Well, that's why it's called forecasting, I suppose. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's just the weather models have changed and chopped and, and, you know, like really once you go beyond... The three to four days, um, very often you can get these setups where it's tricky. And the problem was the weather models weren't agreeing and they were chopping and changing a lot. Um, and sometimes that works out to our favour. Things improve better than we thought. Um, and the thing about it is, like, as we get closer to Saturday and Sunday and the high-resolution weather models pick it up, it may even look a little bit better than it does at the moment. But I suppose trying to manage people's expectations now, Mick, when, uh, you know, maybe they're expecting the, the shorts and the, the ice cream. But it's still not going to be that bad, you know, I suppose. It's just, I think when people have seen the blue skies during the week, that's what they kind of think. That's it now. Summer's here. It's time to get <laughs> well, out and enjoy it. Meteorological summer doesn't begin really until the 1st of June, so we're still in a period where things can change a bit. Do we have too short a high season in this country? June, July and August, oh, winter's coming. Yeah, like it's funny because a lot of people saying to me, oh, I thought it was meant to be summer. And as you said, meteorological season doesn't start till the 1st of June. And May can bring an awful lot of different types of weather. I mean, people will always remember a May that was lovely or a few weeks that we got in May. But, you know, very often in May we can get very mixed weather. And we've had a good week now. Um, but, yeah, it's, look, obviously June, July, August, and even into September is, is our best months. Um, but the weather will do what the weather wants. And unfortunately, it's very hard to forecast even a week out, as you can tell, in this scenario. The only hope is next week is looking better again. So we have a few showers around maybe on Monday, but that high pressure is trying to build back in again. Now, again, I won't be promising blue skies and sunshine next week, but at least the high pressure out in the Atlantic is blocking the real wet and windy weather that we can still see this time of the year. So while it's not maybe the blue skies and the 20-something degrees that people wanted, it's certainly better than it could be. Okay, so you, you don't need shorts and ice cream to have a barbecue. And we've got a barbecue item lined up for tomorrow's programme. There's somebody from Cush coming on tomorrow to talk to barbecues, right? So should we cancel the interview or should people be getting their barbecues ready? Ah, no. I mean, a lot of people barbecue all year round. But when it's, when it's 20 degrees or 19 degrees and you can go outside and you're not getting drowned, it's like, what else would you want to do only get out? I mean, as you say, it's a short enough season that we can enjoy the outdoors. So... I think most people have taken out the uh, the outdoor furniture this week and I'd say absolutely get out and enjoy it and just keep an eye on the rain radar and see if there's a shower coming. But I've often been known to uh, barbecue with um, some utensils in one hand and the umbrella in the other hand, Mick, so I wouldn't put anyone <laughs> off barbecue. All right, any uh, special apps that you guys use or would recommend that people could use? A lot of free apps out there looking at weather. Yeah, the Meteo Blue app. Meteo Blue is a free app that I find is very good because it has all the different weather models. If you go into the Meteogram section and you scroll down, it shows you all the different weather models and what they're showing. So, you know, very often a lot of the weather apps will only use one model, and that's often the GFS model. So um, it's good to have a look, and if you can you can kind of tell whether they're all in agreement, then you're fairly confident that's what's going to happen. 
but when they're not in agreement then maybe it's not going to be as bad or as good as you think so the Meteor Blue app is a good one Okay, just having a look at it there see if we can download that and check it out for people uh, I use XC Weather, have you come across that one? Yeah, yeah, it's a good app it, it's a good uh, website um, and it does present the data pretty well but um, but yeah, and obviously for the the, ter- the 48 hours the Metair app is the best because the Harmony Weather model when you get into the short range will pick up um, the best details and obviously the rain radar as well so yeah, you're talking about all these models now that we know nothing about uh, they'd only be the preserve of the the seasoned weather reporter like yourself well, all we're looking for is simplicity it, Alan well if you open up the Meteor Blue app and you click on the Meteorograms there's little icons and then you can see all the different models on the left hand side and if all the icons in the row match okay. then you know you're onto a good thing but if, if one or two of them are showing rain and the rest are showing, showing sunshine then maybe the one that you're looking at that just has rain is not right is basically what I'm okay. trying to say how, how better is science is forecasting becoming? It is getting better. Um, in the short term, certainly, that you know, the three-day forecasting is very good. Um, the week forecasting can is definitely getting better, but still the long range is not there. And I think a lot of people expect long range forecasting now. And we're seeing, you know, weather trends and, and changes that, that are climate change is changing things a little bit. So we're seeing more extremes. And I think the weather models are struggling a small bit with that. Um, so they are getting better, but I don't think they're getting as, as good as people kind of maybe thought they would be. Yeah, OK. And if we're looking back to that glorious summer, some of us remember back in 1976, some predictions coming out that one of the next five years will see that happen again. Yeah, so we have El Nina kind of temperatures, which like a lot of these are their, their macro kind of bigger picture, um, I suppose, influences on our weather. But what it does mean is, is that if we do get high pressure and we do get the Spanish plume and the Azores high and all these things that bring us up that really hot sunshine, there's a likelihood that the highest temperature record will be broken um, as things do heat up. But it doesn't mean that we're going to have really hot summers every summer. It just means that when we do get a hot spell, it could break records. Um, but certainly the things are, are a little bit skewed as anyone that follows nature would have seen. And I mean, we had the driest March, sorry, the driest February ever and then we get the wettest March ever. So the uh, the weather is a little bit chaotic, and that's the way it's always going to be. But the trends do show it that the extremes will be more extreme in the next few years. So that means bigger winter storms, more deluges of rain, and probably stronger sunshine as well, yeah? Well, possibly, but funny, like we didn't have an AM storm this season at all. Um, so again, mixing weather, weather with climate is a little bit tricky because you, you can see long-term trends, but from one year to the other, it can vary a lot. So... I mean, we escaped all this season without a named storm. Now, we did have some stormy weather, but we didn't have any named storms, which if you were listening to, I suppose, a lot of the uh, talk a couple of years ago, you would have said we were going to have a lot more named storms, but that certainly hasn't played out this year. But who knows, next year could make up for it. Hopefully not. Maybe not your area, but certain calls in the corridors of power for the removal of VAT on sunscreen products. Do we get enough sun to warrant that? We do, um, certainly, and I think the problem with, with Ireland is we don't get enough sunshine, and then when we do get it, people rush out and seem to want to soak it up. Um, and as somebody who suffered a very bad sunburn many years ago, um, it is something that I think there definitely should be more awareness of. I know I have relatives in Australia, and uh, they, 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 they kind of find it bizarre that how little sunscreen we wear. Now, obviously, they get a lot more of it, 
but we seem to want to go out and worship the sun when it does shine and uh, obviously there is great risk there so that would make sense to me it certainly would make sense to me to encourage it I think we may have a little more ozone over us than the Aussies but uh, quite dangerous to sunbathe uh, you know anywhere in Asia uh, unprotected anywhere in Asia or Oceania yeah, absolutely. But I think a lot of people can get fooled as well because we can get sunshine and cooler air and think maybe that, you know, maybe you're not getting as burnt. But um, once you really get into April, May, um, you're getting into sunburn season and obviously it peaks as yeah. you go through the next couple of months. But uh, certainly something to be taken seriously for sure. OK, general, general prediction then finally for the next week. We're going to have lots of cloud. We're going to have uh, intermittent sunshine. We're going to have a few showers, a bit of a mixed bag, really. But for all that, temperatures will be up. Yeah, temperatures will be up and I'd be fairly confident that after Monday that things will settle down nicely and it'll be another good week next week. The farmers will be busy again. Okay. Alan O'Reilly from Carla Weather. Thank you for joining us on the programme. Thanks. Thanks, Vic. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. 23 minutes past 11. Neil Prenderville returning at 9 o'clock on Monday morning. Let's go back to the phone lines now, though. And to Jim O'Hearn on line two. Hi, Jim. Michael, you boy. I'm good, and you? You're listening to the uh, programme and all the uh, people and parents getting upset about the stuff being uh, told to our kids in schools, or proposed to be. Well, it's just the hardest thing to talk about, really, and, you know, you're going to get people one side or the other. But my, my fear with there is that, you know, you know are, we, are we all going to turn into mini pedophiles by sexualising our children, you know? And I suppose, coming up, like, we all went through this ourselves, this kids' children, you know, and a lot of it was about discovery, and that was the fun bit for children, especially with this, you know, discovering their bodies, or probably their friends' bodies, but, you know... We're after taking that away. I can't understand why we were, why we're robbing all that from children. Yeah, you know? I, I wouldn't equate that to a pedophilia. That has a very dark and sinister intent, I think. Well, want, want, wanting to educate our children in a safe manner uh, is a million miles from that. But carry on, make a point. Hang on a second, mate. What happens if one of the educators get aroused while they're doing this? I... I you know, I, I think it's going to, it's a very dodgy place to go. Very, very dodgy. And I think that children should be allowed to discover a lot of it for themselves. That's part of growing up and it's part of finding themselves. Not to be told who they are or what they are. I'd agree. You know? Which, uh, which so, I think was the general tenet of the conversation. All, all we're trying to do here, we're not the woke brigade, even though I've been accused. Uh, listen to this. Jenny spoke very well and made complete sense without coming across as anti-trans. But no doubt Mick and the woke brigade will slate her. I didn't slate her. Uh, you spoke excellently, Jenny. Uh, you can be accused of being all things uh, just just by trying to progress the conversation. But you, what, you're, what you're advocating here is that uh, discover yourself by yourself as a child, which was probably what we were able to do in our time. Uh, that, and you turned out okay, did you? Not too bad, there. I guess. Yeah, there you go. So, so, so this, they're going to try to fix something that wasn't broken. But maybe it's the overarching agenda of, of, of people who want this to be put in front of our children at early ages. Seems to be creeping into the people who formulate the curriculums. Would it, would it, would it not be one for cost, more cost-effective for to keep any child that has issues... To keep them and, and, and have something on the side from their works for them. You know, otherwise you're, you're, you're still going to find a child that wants to trans, you're going to miss it. You're, you're, it's no confusing, you're throwing that child into the muddy waters, you know, where it becomes a joke with all the kids. It's probably going to do a lot more damage. I think a system whereby the child who feels this, they want to go into trans, should be allowed and should be helped. But there's no need for the guy next to him to know about it or two classes down or two classes up. We know it's going to cause trouble and we know it's going to be 
going to be awkward on the child that wants the chance. And best, best to look to him. But I don't think we're doing them any favours. Yeah, but so pre- presenting a, a multitude of choices may cause more confusion than having a system whereby if somebody felt a little confused and was trying to self-determine, they had a, a system whereby they could approach uh, their elders, the teachers in the school, uh, and be safeguarded through that system without well, fear of ridicule absolutely. or peer pressure. Absolutely. Does that not make sense to you? That it, it's, it does. And, but if, if I say yeah. it does, I get lambasted. But you know, you to listen, people are entitled to their opinions. Like, well, the government is trying to make sure all our opinions are taken away. But, I mean, up to now, we're still entitled to it, you know. But if you want to protect someone that, that's like that, you, you, that's an individual thing. I don't know why the whole class needs to get involved. It doesn't make a bit of sense and it won't work. And it won't work in fear. All you're going to end up with is somebody, and we just call into different categories, somebody straight that throws the wrong comment and they'll be thrown out of the school. That's where we're going to go with this. There'll be laws to protect the trans child where there was no need because it could have been minded differently and it would have been better for the child. Plus, to get into services that they need without throwing everybody in. Because every child at 12 or 13 knows every board and be the whole bloody thing. God, for God's sake, between their phones, the TVs, the shows... I mean, most shows know there's all sexual gratification and nobody turns that off. So it's not that they need to know about this. That yeah, we're forcing it, 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 isn't that one, one reason why it's better to be covered in school? Do, do, do you think that most teachers would be afraid to make the stand that perhaps Enoch Burke has made and that I'm not going to use those pronouns because I, religiously I don't agree anyway? Um, he's made his stand, took shipped a fair amount of ridicule and criticism over it, stuck to his guns, but do you think many of the other teachers are you know, not going to make such a stand? But you, most, most civil servants are afraid to rock the boat because of their pension, so they won't, you know. Like that guy up the country, okay, you might say he's right or wrong, but he, you know, he stuck to his guns and, and, and t- told us all something that we needed to say. It's an open debate. No, but if he didn't do what he'd done, this was just coming into schools regardless. You know, and, and the other thing I'd say, like, is every religion going to sign up to this? Because, I, I mean, there's a few religions I think won't... You won't like what the government are going to do. I don't know how they're going to handle that. You know? Yeah, but if, if everybody goes around completely afraid of offending in any way anybody else, where, where are we going? Well, but, but, but we're in a very, very dangerous... We'll, we'll be like... The, you often went on trips years ago and you'd spot the Irishman. He'd say hello to you. How's it going? We're going down to a system now where you'll go down the street in 20 years' time, you'll drop your head, you'll probably wear dark sunglasses and you'll make eye contact with no one. That's where we're going. All right, Jim. Thank you very much for that. All right, bye. Appreciate it. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. This is very worrying, says a texter. What's happening to our little country? Why are they uh, intending to introduce this new curriculum? Uh, Is it going to be taught to national school children? My children uh, are in first class and they were recently told about homosexuality by their teacher. I have no problem at all with this as long as that's where it stops. But I don't want my children learning about transgender, transgenderism, etc., let children be innocent. And uh, there are more texts uh, on this topic. My issue with trans, uh, transgenderism is that we're messing with nature. Nature determines the gender of species to maintain a balance and ensure survival of the species, says Pat. Such an interesting topic uh, about sex education in schools. Thank you for bringing it up on the programme today. I brought my son to the dentist yesterday for a scale and polish. He's 14. I was going to let him in alone, but the dentist said all children need to be accompanied by an adult until they are 16. So it's astonishing to think a teacher can give such a sex talk to our children not accompanied by an adult. It's absolutely scandalous. But surely the teacher is the adult in that scenario. What happened to Mick the bigot bringing balance to every debate? It's a wonder why those lefty, woke, educated people don't phone or text in. 
I think they've left you hate-filled people to rant amongst yourselves. No surprise you're losing younger listeners. Would the horrible attack on the boy in Navan have happened if everybody was a bit more open-minded? Uh, I'm not sure where that's going except calling us hate-filled. Um, I take a point and uh, you're, you're well able to make it and uh, we, of course, will do you the honour of uh, reading it out once you took the trouble uh, to do so. Line one, John Byrne, good morning. Good morning. Uh, we start I Sorry, I've been listening to the conversation there. That lady that you were on earlier, she kind of put the whole thing in, in, in a very concise packet. You know, that, that uh, what, what's gone wrong and what is possible to go wrong. And that guy Jim there as well, he just brought up a couple of points as well, like, you know, that, that uh, need to be explored. Uh, the, the, and the problem is, this is, we won't be able to have this discussion if uh, this new uh, hate speech uh, bill is brought in because that will be expanded on and, and uh, no discussion. And anybody, well, let me put it to you like this, like uh, how could you voice your opinion and, and uh, expect to be left, left down the road? Like uh, Enoch Burke brought up uh, points there and he stuck to his guns and proved his point by going to court that the court couldn't handle it because he dealt in reality and he dealt with a religious matter, which is enshrined under our constitution. And this is why the courts don't want to deal with us. They know that they can't deal with us. We're probably without referendum. Oh, abs- absolutely! No, we're bring- no, we have we have government now trying to bring in hate speech. We're, are we trying to bring in hate speech you now for a population of the people that are coming into our country uh, from God knows where? Yeah, Mr. Burke's fines, by the way, for his daily arrivals at the school have now gone past seventy-four thousand euro. Yeah, but how are they going to collect this? Mm. Where, where are they going to collect this? This, 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 that case will end up going to Europe and it will be thrown out because the European Court of Human Rights will say that he's correct and he's in his opinion. It's his religious belief and that's it. Now, one of the other things I wanted to bring up to you was about uh, uh, the hate speech rule that we're not hearing any kickback from... Well, let, sorry, let, let, just for balance here, let's, let's remember that Enoch Burke has been uh, defying court orders and hence the fines. So, the, so they are yeah, handling sure. it... They are handling it, it to an extent. How, how it will conclude is anybody's guess. They're not handling it to any extent. They're trying to override the man's uh, uh, religious uh, beliefs. Just let me put it to you like this: like if he was from an, if he was from another belief, they, they wouldn't be having this problem because it wouldn't go down at all. Yeah, they remember it happened to Muhammad Ali. Yeah. And and his whole thing was, um, you know. Ah, yeah, I'm, but you see. Uh, but you see, there was a political thing involved, you see, with Muhammad Ali, you see, because Muhammad Ali, you see, became a, a follower of the House of Islam uh, in, in the States. And and uh, the CIA and the FBI uh, were always on Malcolm X and all the rest of the guys. Like So, like, that became a huge threat to national security in the States. It's a, that, it's a that, di- that was... different story and a digression, so let's let's come back yeah, from yeah, that. But uh, yeah, I, I, would, yeah. I, I would advise people to watch a brilliant movie called Ali's Greatest Fight. It's about that court case and about all, all of that correct. stuff. When he, yeah. took on, when he took on the United States, I don't know. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. Okay. Now, let, now let, listen, what I wanted to talk to you was, we had a section 31 here one time when we couldn't hear what Sinn Féin was saying. Now, there's a lot of people out there who won't even remember this, but now all of a sudden, we now can't have a debate about uh, our right to speech in this country, and it's okay with Sinn Féin who are running in behind the, 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 the two government parties and the Greens. Yeah, I, rem- I remember Ger- Jerry Adams' words when, when they'd used his picture on TV, They're, they were overdubbed by an actor's voice. That's correct. Yeah, that, that, that was censorship. 
So we're now trying to bring in censorship and Sinn Féin. Uh, like, I think most rational people at the time could see the problem that with the censorship or what was being done to Jolly Adams and Sinn Féin. And we didn't like it. But it's OK now for Sinn Féin to turn around and say that we can't have any debate on, on our right to free speech. Our right to uh, free speech. Well, we have been saying on this programme, certainly since I came on board last week, uh, that the vague language in this proposed bill is where the danger lies. A- any, any legislation with vague language is open to uh, concentration in certain areas, amendment in certain areas, and the, the, it, it's in its vagueness that it becomes more powerful, not in its specifics. That's, that's right, that you just nailed it. It's, it's, it's been brought out and it's been cloaked so they can add to it later. That's 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 what's going on, and that's exactly what will be done. It, it's it's running deep with people. Can I can I say, John? Because uh, uh, sorry, Jim, is it Jim or John? I'm John. No, oh, John, John. Sorry, I got mixed up. Um, it, it's it's running deep with people because everybody we bring on who's of a political persuasion, there's always text coming in after the fact, you know, because we, we don't get them printed in front of me for a while. A- ask him where he stands on the on the hate speech. Ask him to vote for the hate speech for for everybody yeah, we bring on. People are people are rightly worried about this. Yeah, but do you do you do you think that the government bringing in this uh, hate speech uh, bill, if if they manage to push it through, that it will stop you from having the thoughts that you have and speak in your mind? No. If we're on the radio, no, we're on the radio it, it, because it you're doing your job. It could certainly alter the course and the dialogue uh, that we put forth on the airwaves across the country on various radio stations. Yeah, like I mean, that's it. Like I mean, we we are, we are now we we've found out now we don't have enough police to uh, to take care of the country, but we we can now form a new unit called the Thought Police to stop you from thinking. And yeah, that's gone a bit far, but I did liken it to a Minority Report. Remember that one with Tom Cruise and oh, Colin Farrell? Yeah, yeah. But should, this is like I mean, if we were having this conversation, uh, if they get it through, uh, they could be in the door on top of you. And they could come after me to have a look at my phone to see uh, uh, what I was up to on my phone. And this is the Republic of Ireland, isn't it? Huh? But are we really over-sensationalising something that it obviously needs to be bashed around linguistically before it goes before, before any vote of the higher houses? No, because we don't know we don't know who's pushing us, and we don't know what the agenda of of, of its, uh, its its finality is. But what it basically is, they can they can get the paper signed at the bottom, and they can fill in the blanks afterwards. I don't I don't, I don't what, think it's going to sail through the houses of the Oireachtas that easily. There's a lot of public concern about it. Well, well, let me put it like this: like any politician that would put his name to it, he better get, a, he better find another uh, occupation. Okay, so um, he'd, want, he'd want to be thinking ahead to like, what he's going to do uh, after it goes through, because uh, who does he think is going to vote for him? So, do you, do you think we'll we'll get to look at it in more nuanced language and get to change it? No. They will try to bluff their way. We already have a situation where a minister came on the radio two days ago and because the people of Bumtree aren't happy about people coming into the jurisdiction and he said, that's it, you can lump it or like it, but you're liking it. That's what you're dealing with. OK, we'll watch it with interest, but thank you, uh, John, for your contribution. Um, we, you know, we covered a bit there, children running around playgrounds in school. Um, that's right. Um, that, was, that, was, that was stopped, but we can bring pornography into the school and we can bring it into the library. 
but they can't run they can't run around and play because it would be dangerous. What what do you make of the suggestion that all of this should should be taught in the company of the parents, maybe early evenings, maybe outside of school hours, on the school properties? Well, well, my kids are around, but I but I but I have grandkids, and uh, if I thought that my grandkids were being taught something that their parents missed, uh, I'd be having a one to one with the teacher. Okay, uh, I just just want to get some text about annoying phrases. Is there any annoying phrases? Is there something that really bugs you that people say all the time that you hear on the telly or whatever? Oh, yeah. Politicians, we are where we are. We are where we are. All right, let's look at a few more of them. Thanks a million, John. (laughs) Thank you. Um, The media, including uh, ourselves, is obsessed with the phrase going forward uh, and fresh across and tell us, show us, ask us, etc. Kid is very annoying. All right, kid. Uh, That came from the UK, our kid, didn't it? A lot of people using kid at the moment. Uh, How are we? is another annoying question when uh, somebody approaches you in singularity. Would two people meet in the street and you're asked, how are we? Um, the expression, your man or your wano, is uh, one by far the most irritating expressions I've ever heard. My most hated phrase is, all things being equal. Uh, that's from Joe's Edge in uh, Blarney. Uh, that's used a lot by uh, politicians. And uh, there's a Cork expression here that is annoying. Uh, Marion, uh, when I hear somebody say, give me a barrel, B-E-R-R-Y-L. Give me a barrel. Why don't you just say, give me a ring? And another one, uh, an annoying expression, is the, uh, I think, which would have been the old name for the town back in the 1600s. I'm going to King Sale. It's Kinsale. So King Sale uh, certainly irks some people. I wonder, is that uh, the old name for it? As I think it was back in the 1600s. King Sale, but it's still being used to this day instead of Kinsale. The Neil Prenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday 0818-104-106. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show at 16 minutes to 12. We cover an awful lot of topics on each and every program here. On line three, we have Liz Maddox, who's the chair of the Cork's Older People's Council. Good morning, Liz. Good morning, Nick. Good show. Thank, Good thank, show. You, thank you very much. We were talking yesterday. Now, I know we took some exception, me and uh, in absentia, uh, Neil Prendeville had been called aged uh, because we're over 55. Uh, but these uh, <laughs> aged, can't even say it, the, these parking spaces, one of which is being uh, put in front of the bank in Glenmire, uh, are already in place in many towns that we call age-friendly towns. Is that right? Yes, um, back some years ago, uh, there are two age-friendly older people's councils. There's one in Cork City and there's one for the county, and I'm chair of the county um, older people's council. And some years ago, we had a meeting and we said, look, there's disability parking, there is mother and toddler, and and some of the uh, older people said it would be nice in supermarkets and towns for them to have a, a space uh, that have limited mobility or certain medical conditions that don't fit the disability criteria. So we put the idea forward and Cork County Council um, came on board with us uh, and, and we, we set a plan out, we set a, a design out and, and off we went. And they were launched in the, in the age-friendly towns. And then they were taken on on a national level. So now you have age-friendly parking all over Ireland, not just the county of Cork. And I hear you're, you're about to have some in the city um, age-friendly Ireland do not um, specifically stick to the age of 55. We don't do that. So I don't know where that came from. Maybe it's from the World Health Organization. So it's just a suggestion then. 
So it's just a suggestion. Well, you, there's no there's no age friendly parking signs anywhere that have fifty five plus. It, it doesn't say that on it. You know, it is specifically for older people uh, or people. You know, it, it and and the courtesy parking spaces. They're not like disability parking. You don't pay for them. There's no blue badge or anything like that. It's just a courtesy thing. I want to thank SuperValue in in Bantry who've just resurfaced there too in their car parks. But I have had many phone calls asking them, would they put their age-friendly sign up, please? Uh, it's too low down. So if they're listening in, I'd ask them to do that. I'd ask many supermarkets to think about having age-friendly parking. Um, it's not a lot to ask, and you have a lot of old people that spend money in your supermarkets or your businesses. Um, so look, it's, it's been a good thing. It's been a positive thing. But the, the thing about, I'm 70, by the way, Mick. And, well, you don't sound you know, it. It's a, I'm 70 this year. So I think um, it, it's, it was just something that the uh, older people are on, the, on the county, uh, our county board, that, that we put forward. And we were absolutely delighted that it was taken on a national level. And it's all over Ireland. It's something to be very proud of. So the city, um, I see they're putting. I, I saw they were putting one in Glanmire. I can't yeah. imagine for one. And that's where the sorry, that's where the fifty-five came from. I think from age-friendly. Yeah, port. I can't imagine. Yeah, Mick, are they putting fifty-five plus on the sign? If they're listening in, guys, don't do that. That's not that's you don't. Maybe no not so much on the sign, but age. as on the online advertising, uh, these spaces no, have been no, brought no, in. They specifically off. reference fifty-five <laughs> at the age no, at which no, you no, can begin to use them. <laughs> You don't need that. You don't. You don't need that. Just, just age-friendly parking. It's a positive thing, and you know there'd be a lot of um, negative stuff out there. Well, other people who use them, like disability parking. Look, if we looked at the negative thing in life, we'd have nothing done. This was something we thought for the older person, and they benefit from it across many towns. I don't know that there's any Mick in villages yet. Maybe somebody would call me in if there is, but I don't think there is. I think it's all. In the age-friendly towns, and well, it, in it, it is it is a good news story, Liz, because you're chair of yes, the Cork Older People's yes. Council. This is a project advocated yes. by the Cork Older People's Council, and it's already yes. been taken up across the county. There's one in County Hall, uh, one in Cove, Band and yes. Mallow. You mentioned Bantry as well. Yes, yes, and for Moy, I think there's one there as well. Mitchellstown um, heads up to Kay Joyce in Mitchellstown. She she backed that one there, and and a, and a group of people there in Mitchellstown. There is age-friendly towns. Age-friendly towns uh, committees across Ireland, all over Ireland. I've just been on a on a conference to Tralee, and the 32 counties, age-friendly counties, were at that conference. You know, and we are there to make a difference for older people. You know, and I don't know if you know, Mick, there is a hotline um, for Aircom now for older people. Um, you might uh, find the number and put it up, but instead of dialing one nine zero one and waiting 30 minutes or an hour to get your call through, through the Older People's Council and Age Friendly Ireland, we did consultation. There's a special number now for older people and you will get seen to within five minutes. Okay. So, you know, we'll, we'll look that up. May, we yeah, maybe tomorrow yeah. before we'll, we'll advertise that. But yeah. uh, that's, that's, a, that's kind of a welcome change, isn't it? Yeah. And there's a lot of positive things that we do. And, you know, I'm a positive person and I really don't look on the negative side of life. I can't, I don't have time to do that. And, and I just, I thank the, the, the members of the Older People's Council there in, at County Hall with myself. I'm on my way out as chair. There'll be a new chair um, 
coming in later this year, shortly. And I've enjoyed my time and I've enjoyed making a difference. And, and, and especially when you can see that like, difference visibly in, in, in the age-friendly yes, parking spaces. Exactly okay. right. come up with an idea. We're super so efficient as always, Liz. Ayers Age-Friendly Care Line can be reached on 1-800-252-252. And that's accessible between the hours of 10am to 4pm Monday to Friday. 10am to 4pm Monday to Friday, 1-800-252-252. Ayers Age-Friendly Care Line. Liz Maddox, Chair of Cork, Older People's Council. Hours. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for a great show. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, bye-bye. Lots of people texting in about Kinsale or Kinsoyla, meaning head of the brine or head of the sea. What I was specifically asking uh, was, uh, was it once named King Sail uh, and the G dropped? So if we can can find that out, then that'd be great. Uh, Some texts on the subject of Gardaí. Please bear in mind that once those who do commence training are attested, they still have a long way to go in terms of exams and probation. So a number of these may not last the course. With such a massive issue with recruitment and retention and morale, etc., our guardie are stretched to the absolute limit. Uh, ask him why we are still renting uh, 250 cars, which must have been paid for three times over with the renting. The guardie lost all respect because of the way they treated people during the lockdowns. They treated everyone like they were criminals. Ordinary, decent people were shocked. Uh, the Baron, <clears throat> apparently, the Barony or the Baron of King Sale, K-I-N-G, was named after the town. Hence, the Lord King Sale. That's a pub. That's right next door to Oscar Madison's there. Two doors from it. Uh, lovely pub. Uh, I believe George Michael stayed there uh, over one Christmas. I know he spent one Christmas in Cork, and I believe that's where he stayed, uh, upstairs over the Lord King Sale. Uh, but his title was named after the town, not the other way around. So it would seem uh, that King Sale uh, and its use, uh, as annoying as it can be for some people. Uh, there's also, of course, St. Multo's. Uh, was that, was that uh, somebody said it was called St. Multo's or Kinsale uh, at one stage as well. Now, I wonder before we finish, uh, talk about Ronnie Hurley, who was uh, a rebel scholar with a raw, raw passion for Cork City. Local historian uh, Roger, or Ronnie Hurley, he died suddenly last week and will forever be remembered as a true Cork man with this city at his heart. We'll speak about him with Tom Spaulding in a moment. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. At four minutes to twelve, I don't want to turn this into a dingle on dangin' thing, but I've had a text from uh, eminent Kinsale historian Shocks, um, who is saying that uh, it's Kinsale ahead of the sea, not King Sale, just the same as Cove is not Queenstown. But to things historical, we finish on today. And Tom Spaulding, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good, but Cork is a lesser place, as is this program where this gentleman was our kind of a. You know, our dial-in historian, Douglas Street and yeah. uh, certain cemeteries are a poorer place for the passing of Ronnie Hurley. They are, yes. It's, uh, it's now just over three years since uh, Ronnie passed away. And uh, as a mark of respect, and, and obviously delayed because of the whole COVID thing, we're having a free one-day seminar in his memory hosted by UCC History Department uh, this Saturday um, at starting at half past nine on Saturday morning, um, and everyone is welcome. Uh, there'll be a range of talks and discussions um, kind of centred around the South Parish, which was Ronnie's birthplace and, and where, where he 
he learnt about the streets and the history of Cork, and, and um, which he's written about and very much associated with him and his, his legacy and kind of the history of, of that and the work he did there. Yeah, and of course, he, he loved giving the walking tours, meeting people, uh, explaining yeah. the South Parish, its cemeteries, its various uh, buildings. Yeah, he was famous for it. Um, he was very popular as a, as a guide, uh, and he made many friends and acquaintances through his lively tours. Um, St. Joseph's Cemetery was a project that he worked on for a number of years, and I'll be honest with you, when he started talking about it, I thought that doesn't sound very promising, but he managed to... It sounds wrong, but he managed to bring the cemetery to life, (laughs) but not in the kind of ghouls and zombies way. Yeah, he he also used to speak of his difficulty in learning Irish as a young fella, and uh, I think that mirrors a a lot of our experience of the language. But then in later life, uh, to get a certain grow back and a love for the language. Yes, I mean he was he was he was a man with endless enthusiasm and and endless curiosity, Uh, and. he was able to find something and bring out the, the, the interest in almost anything uh, and, and constantly be curious and constantly look into, into, into things such as the language or, or place names or yeah. the history of overlooked things. You know? So let, let's pay him proper tribute on Saturday. And How can people get involved? Where can they get involved? And, and what's, well, what's on offer? It, it's a seminar um, in the O'Rahilly building in UCC, which is very close to the Honan Chapel. Um, if your listeners know that, I'm sure they do. And we'll have lots of signs up around the campus to direct people to the building. It's an all-welcome scenario, uh, is it? It is. Everybody's welcome. There is no fee. Um, and we will be welcomed by um, Councillor Kieran McCarthy, who I'm sure many of you are, are familiar with. Um, and he's obviously you know, synonymous with the history of Cork. And in fact, he's going to be, fingers crossed, serving as Lord Mayor for the next... Uh, term, um, but he'll be opening us and, and welcoming us to it. And then there's nine different speakers talking about subjects as varied as um, St. Finbar South Parish, um, the history of mental health treatment in Cork, um, the Mardike, um, a man called Joseph Gibson, who was a great um, philanthropist, um, the history of printed books, you name it. It's all going to be happening. Well, I, I venture and, there'll be a, a guided wander around of some of the better hostelries afterwards, will there? Oh, we may be able to have a small bevy somewhere. <laughs> Squeeze a few tasty know. beverages in. Tom Spaulding, yeah. th- thank you for that lovely memory of Ronnie Hurley. We wish you all the best on Saturday uh, and do hope work. it's very well attended uh, in his memory. Thank you so much. Thanks for, thanks for the Thanks. Cheers. Bye bye. Uh, my thanks to the programme's producers, Seamus Wheelahan, Kevin Galvin, and Claire O'Connor. We're back tomorrow after news at nine. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.